Hey, everybody. Welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right. So for this week's episode, it's going to be a little bit different on a couple of fronts. Number one, we've got a guest and we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about a topic that uh, quite honestly is not something I've ever talked about before, uh, especially on this platform. So it's going to be a fun conversation, I think. I, I hope you guys enjoy it. And I think you, I hope, I hope, and I think you'll find some value in it. Um, and I'll, I'll, kind of touch on that here in a second but the 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 big thing is the fact that i'm recording this and i'm going to go ahead and upload it uh to rumble now a lot of you have been asking for me to upload these podcasts not only uh the the audio versions to other platforms but other people have asked to you know upload it to video because they enjoy watching the video from time to time so um I've alluded to the past in the past that I, I've got some issues with the way Facebook, um, the metaverse now, uh, the way Google, you know, and of of kind of recent, you know, maybe even Spotify, how they handle their their interpretation of free speech and the free flow of ideas and dialogue. Um, which just turn in their world, it just translates into just pure on censorship, censorship, and quite honestly, in many cases, propaganda. So I'm not too fired up about some of those platforms these days. You know, do I still use YouTube? Yeah, I do because there's a lot of content on there. And and is there a value to YouTube? Okay, sure there is, but is there a need for an alternative platform for some of these? Yeah, I really do believe that there is, there, there, there is a strong need for an alternative. So to that end, that's why I'm going to upload these. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to video all of the uh, podcasts. I haven't made that decision yet. Maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. But these ones where I, where I have a guest on and there's some interaction, it, it's nice to, to be able to sometimes to see that interaction. Um, so I'm going to upload it to Rumble. Um, Rumble for a couple reasons. Number one, and, and Rumble, just like everywhere else, it's just row hunting resources. All right. So you look me up and Rumble and row hunting resources. Um, Rumble because of a couple of things. Number one, I think they are a platform that has some legs under. Uh, they are growing. They're growing fairly quickly. Um, they've got some good people behind them. I really do like what Dave Rubin has been doing with locals. And I, I like what's been going on with Rumble. And now that they've merged, there's some influence. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to give them a shot. Uh, they seem to be a company that, and, and a group of people that are committed to, let's just be honest, not censoring, shall we say, as much as Google is going to be. You know, originally Rumble was going to be, there's going to be no censorship. Well, then it, it turned out, okay, there's going to be some that's necessary, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. We're going to find out. All right. We, we already know the censorship of Google. All right. We, we know that. Um, let's see where Rumble goes. So I, I, again, I like some of the people behind Rumble and locals um, and it's been growing fairly quickly. Um the other reason why I'm choosing Rumble is because right now it's it they have a team behind them that is committed or supposedly committed to making the user experience as good 
as possible, but as trying to emulate what YouTube has been able to achieve. That's the beautiful thing about YouTube. It's so intuitive. It's, it's just so, it, it, it's that model that just wants to grab you and just lock you in and keep you trapped in there because you're watching your, your videos. And then over here on the other side, you're like, Ooh, what's that? What's that video? What's that? And you just keep clicking and it just keeps feeding you and feeding you. More importantly, there's a lot of material there and there's a lot of just very intuitively nice features for the viewer that just makes the viewer engagement enjoyable, even beyond just what video you're watching. Rumble is working hard to, to make their platform as, as best as they can. Um, and they've got it to where now you can get their app on your phone, on your computer. You know, you can watch, you can watch Rumble videos on your phone. You can watch Rumble videos on your computer. And quite honestly, most smart TVs these days already have Rumble installed on the TV. Or if not, you can literally download it for your, your TV and you can watch Rumble on your TV. So now it's not one of those things where it's difficult to get. No, you can find Rumble everywhere pretty much now if you, if you want to consume those videos. Now, I know what a lot of you guys are thinking. You're like, well, eh, there's not a lot there and I don't want to. Okay, yeah, well, YouTube wasn't YouTube back when YouTube started to try to be YouTube, okay? Everybody's got to start somewhere and you've got to build a platform. YouTube took off like a wildfire because it was the only thing, of, only thing like it. You know, there was Vimeo, but Vimeo had a different model. So YouTube just exploded because it was the only thing out there. And then they did so well on, on developing their user interface that it just became addictive. And, and that's just where everywhere, everyone just defaulted to. And so it kind of swamped the market, if you will. Well, any alternative to a YouTube is going to have to start somewhere. And just like YouTube did, they're going to have to build over time. The more of us that get on there and put our content in there and a diverse uh, a, 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 a wide array of content on there. The faster it's going to grow, the more engagement there's going to be, the more feedback they're going to get, and the better they're going to be able to make that platform. All right. If you, if you truly believe in freedom and liberty and, and what this country was founded on and the principles behind it, I really think more of us are going to have to start stepping away from these platforms that just flat out engage in just pure censorship, if not flat out state run propaganda at this point. All right. So we've got it. We've got to, we've got to start somewhere, take a step, make a change, do something. I'm going to start by doing my, what I can. I'm going to try starting to load some of my stuff or more of my stuff onto rumble to that end. I'm actually going to take, start taking a bunch of my YouTube stuff and bringing it over to rumble. I'm not going to kill my YouTube channel but I'm just going to try to start bringing more stuff over to rumble. So if you're interested in following me over there, great. Cause this is where the pod, I think this is where I'm going to, uh, you know, the video based podcast. It's, it's on the website as well. I'll have it on row hunting resources website as well. So if you're, you know, if you want to go there, go there, but if you want to go to something that you can watch on your smart TV or just to, you know, with the rumble app, you'll, you'll have the access to the, the podcast there. Obviously, again, there's going to be some row hunting resources, subscriber only podcasts that you're only going to be able to find that over on the website through the subscription for our members. Okay. So Anyway, because again, right now I don't have advertisers. 
All of this is made possible by the subscribers, those people that support me monetarily through the website and, and get a subscription. All right. And, and you guys are awesome. You know, like, like for instance, the, the guest this week, Josh Benton. Okay. Josh has been a longtime supporter. I mean, hell, I don't even know how many years he's been a, a subscriber to Row Hunting Resources and the Elk Hunting Institute Elk Module. Okay. Um, there's a lot of you like that. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all of your support. Uh, thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. All right. So enough rambling there. So look for this. If you want to watch the video, go over to Rumble, Row Hunting Resources, just like normal. Jump on that. Give it a like, give it all the, the little notification. Just, just do all the things that you normally do because that will help build my platform there quicker and get more views and just help build that whole thing as well. So, so for this week's discussion with Josh, all right. So, uh, yeah. So Josh, again, he's been a longtime subscriber. Listen to the podcast, heard me talking about, uh, you know, the consulting and just, you know, helping folks go through their hunt plans and, and their scouting plans and just adding another set of eyes and another brain to the whole process to just pick things apart and, and bring a different perspective to the table. So that way, when they go to the field, they'll have a, you know, maybe a better leg up on it, whether it's their scouting efforts or whether, whether it's their hunting efforts in the fall. So when he heard that reminded him, he's like, yeah, you know what? Hey, do you mind? Can we do that? Cause he's got, he's planning a hunt for 2022 in Colorado. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So we jumped on last week and ended up, I don't know, I it was like three, four hours that we ended up just talking. And yeah, we picked apart his hunt plan eight ways from Sunday. And I think he's got a really good plan, but more importantly, what was more, even almost more enjoyable for me was just the periphery conversations. We really hit it off and, and the conversations were, um, let's just say interesting. And so, uh, for the month of February, I decided that I was going to cut out all alcohol. I was going to cut out all caffeine. I was going to start, you know, religiously, you know, working out, you know, trying to get, I've got it. And we'll get into this with the, in the podcast, but I I've got to do something to try to just force my lungs back into some semblance of, of function after I had to deal with all the, the COVID crap from, I mean, it's been years now. I'm, I'm still dealing with the after effects. So I had, to, I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to make a change. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to drink any alcohol. I'm not going to drink any caffeine. I'm going to start to work out. Uh, there was a couple other things that I decided for the month of February. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to see what happens. Well, it just turns out, it just so happens that Josh and his wife, um, run Benton Behavioral Health Consulting. And literally their entire, I get the world right now is they help people overcome alcohol addictions, drug addictions, uh, you name it. Uh, and, and everyone from just like me to where I don't feel like I have a problem. I just I would like to try to see if I can't, you know, just let's just cut it out for a month. Let's just let's see how it goes for a month or, or maybe I, I carry it out longer. I don't know. But let's just cut it out for a little bit and just see what happens, you know, all the way to those people that are. And, and Josh will talk about it, I, the, the very hardcore to where you're either, you know, you, you are at the, the, the pit of the pit of bad, you know, addiction and despair and everything else. 
So Josh himself is more of a coach and a manager, and he kind of helps place people. They, they've got behavioral, so Benton Behavioral Health Consulting. Um, Josh's wife is a, a clinician, uh, so she handles a lot of the medical kind of side. Josh will handle a lot of the management side, but they're both heavily involved with it. Um, you can find their information under basically it's www.highfunctioningalcoholics.com. So Josh's wife, I believe Sarah, wrote a book called Understanding the High Functioning Alcoholic. I believe that's what it is, um, which is just interesting because that ended up being a, a part of the conversation that he and I had. And before I had, I had actually talked to him last week, I had no clue, no clue what his background was. He had no clue about any of my family history or, or what my family, you know, diamond dynamics are and what I chose to do for the month of February. So it just kind of, it was almost serendipity on how we kind of connected. Um, and like I said, it became an interesting conversation because while I have chosen this month to, to just cut out all the alcohol and caffeine and everything else, what I never realized was the number of my friends that did the exact same thing quietly. Okay. Most people just don't talk about some of this stuff. <clears throat> so it was shocking to me, the number of my friends that once I told them what I was doing, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we did that too. Or I did that too. And I've done this. And some of them have stayed off. You know, they're, they're, they're just not drinking anymore. They're not drinking caffeine anymore or whatever. So the number of friends that I've had that went, that decided to try this, um, for the reasons that they decided to try this very similar to mine, I have to believe that many of us, many of you that are listening to this are probably in the same boat. So maybe, maybe you'll find some benefit to this discussion, if not find it enjoyable. Um, so enough rambling. That's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to talk about, we're going to spend spending a lot more time talking about alcohol and, and caffeine and, and just, just us, you know, just people today. <clears throat> and then at the end, excuse me. And at the end, the, the real reason why I originally wanted to talk to him is because there is a clinical technique of, of dealing with people called, and, and the way of, of, um, interviewing people and, and talking with people and working through complex problems with people. Uh, it's motivational interviewing. And Josh had brought that up and they use it all the time and his wife, especially in, in the clinical stuff. And I was intrigued by that because I think there's a lot of overlap between what they do in their profession with like massively hardcore addicted people that, I mean, the, uh, some of these people are, they're, they're at their end. Uh, like Josh uh, talks about, they're either going to eat the end of it. They're, e they're either, e they're going to either, sorry, either eat the end of a barrel of a shotgun or they're going to make a change in their life. Okay. So they, Josh and his wife deal with some of the just hardest cases of addiction and despair for people that you can ever imagine. And the way that they communicate and, and have to relate and, and talk to those people has incredible amounts of overlap 
with what I have talked about in rela- in sportsmen having to figure having to have a better dialogue with non-hunters as well as animal activists. So that was the original intent of the podcast to talk more about the concepts around motivational interviewing. Well, that just ended up being like the last one third. The, the front two thirds was about what I'm going through and what I'm doing and what I'm playing with. And then Josh chiming in. And so that ah, it is what it is. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a little bit different. Um, but anyway, I wanted to share that uh, and do this intro because a, there was a lot that I wanted to, to update you on number one and number two, when I hit, when we, when we got the zoom thing all running and I hit record, I completely forgot to do an introduction. We just, we just started in. And so anyway, it is what it is. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. And, uh, until next time, hope you guys stay safe. There we go. Um, honestly, that, that's part of the reason why I want to have this discussion because I think it's dude, I, we may actually go down a road that I don't even know if I was even, uh, originally planning on going down. I, I, yeah. I may, we may actually talk about a little bit more about alcohol and, and drug yeah. and, and uh, addiction and just the psychology around it. Cause, yeah. um, and, and so tra- we talked for three hours the other day. I, well, I, I know. And, and quite honestly, I, I would like to get to motivational interviewing and some of the principles there, because I think it has a lot of overlap with yeah. what I was talking about with some of these animal activists and sportsmen interactions. And, and pe- if you yeah. want to change someone's mind, you know, I, I, on the, I don't know if you listened to the last podcast I just did, but um, what's that? I haven't got a chance to yet. No. Okay. So I, I was talking in there that, you know, Jordan Peterson had just got done interviewing uh, Sam Harris. And in that, yeah. in that discussion, it, you know, he talked about uh, Sam said, you know, if a person does not value mm-hmm. facts and logic, yeah. no amount of facts and logic are going to convince them that they need to listen to facts and logic. Sure. And, and the same thing I've said in years past, and I don't remember if it, I don't think it was uh, John Kenneth Galbraith. I, I, I don't think that's who said it. But anyway, you know, you can never you can never reason a man out of something you were never reasoned into. Yeah. You can't convince him. Yeah. Correct. So I, we always say frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. <laughs> OK, what is that? Froth? What? Say that again. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. So you can't you can't like. Oh, are those my earbuds? No, they are. No, they're not. Oh. <laughs> Lovely wife. Oh, so it really, all that means is that you can't really convince anyone yeah. of anything. You really can't. Like you have to connect with someone. You have to have common ground. You have to have some platform, some principle that you both identify with so that you can trust that individual. Cause if, if you don't have that trust, if you always think that someone's trying to get over on you, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna fly. Yeah. Awesome. So dude, I, I just, I, I do, I want to sit and, and, and chat with sure. you man. and let's, let's start and, and you tell me what I'm mean, obviously you're. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's just do this. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself and sure. what, you, what do you do? And what is your, what is your consulting? Cause you're a consultant, right? I mean, you're. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Josh Benton. I own uh, two different companies. One, Benton Behavioral Health Consulting. We are a startup consulting company in the addiction treatment field. I'm also part owner of a program in Boston called East Coast Recovery Services. 
So that is a long-term uh, residential program for males. We have a 30 bed facility in Cleveland Circle in Boston. Um, I'm also a person of recovery for 20 plus years. Um, I got sober when I was 27 years old. I kind of had to grow up on a, in a small little town on the South shore of Massachusetts. Um, kind of had, you know, my parents were hippies. They grew, uh, you know, weed in the garden and, you know, grew up on a little chicken farm. We had like 50 chickens and we sold eggs. And you know, my whole father's side of the family's from Martha's Vineyard, born and raised over there before they even had electricity. I mean, we kind of had a, a, a kind of a, a very much a classic New England uh, heritage. Um, you know, my great great grandfather had a hundred acre gladiola and dahlia farm. Uh, so they oh. basically they, they grew flowers. They had a hundred acre flower farm, and you know they're they're perennials, but you have to dig them up every year because of the frost, or it will kill them. So they would, you know, dig up the roots every fall and and winter them in, over in the in the barn, and then replant them in the spring and sell all the flowers in the flower exchange uh, in Boston. That was kind of on my mother's side. So I kind of had this crazy upbringing. Um, I grew up in a foster home, but my home was the foster home. So I might, even if I, let me see if I can shut this off. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to hit my, I'm going to hit it's, I think it's mine. Yeah. Cause I've got my cell cameras are still out yeah. there and I've got stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mine so. are, uh, mine are all on hold for the winter. Cause it's perfect. So kind of had this amazing kind of, uh, childhood where, um, it was, you know, it was really exciting, but it was, and it was really cool, but it was also very um, intense. Um, you know, my dad drank every day growing up. That was just kind of what people did. They get, you know, my dad's an electrician. He would, uh, you know, work all day and then come home and, you know, and, and drink. And he was never abusive. He was just kind of not, he was just kind of not present, um, you know. So right from a very early age, like my, the people that I looked up to were like these adolescent delinquents uh, that were my foster brothers that would like get drunk after school and, and get in a fight and roll in glass and come home. And, and I'm like, and they're all bloody. And I'm like, this is like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I can't wait to do that. Um, and, you know, so I started drinking, I think when I was probably 13 or 14 years old, started smoking weed. Um, you know, by the time I was 16, I was, I was a full-blown, uh, alcoholic. I, I, no, every time I drank, I couldn't control the amount that I took in. Um, I would say that I'm like, a, um, I'm a get out of, I'll go to any lengths to get out of myself. So in the beginning, it was very easy because it, it, you know, it slowly progresses for me. It was just drinking and then we were taking acid and then we were doing cocaine and then we were doing hard drugs and, um, you know, my mom, uh, when I was 19 or so, gave me an ultimatum and um, I packed, uh, you know, threw everything in a, in a black trash bag and threw it in my pickup truck and, and drove away. And that from 19 until 20, uh, 11 days before my 27th birthday were, were pretty intense. Um, sorry, I can't believe she's texting me right now. No, it's all right. Um, and they were, I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to get into, uh, into the trenches, so to speak on my sure. drug use. Sure, sure, um, sure. No, it's just because it's not, uh, it's not really relevant. So it was, it was very intense. I spent, uh, many years, uh, what I would deem as a street kid. 
Um, so I had like this really kind of crazy quintessential uh, New England upbringing where we were hunting and fishing and ice fishing and snowmobiling and dirt bike riding and, you know, just everything that you do is a small little town. And then I kind of got cast out into the big city of Boston and Worcester and Lowell and Lynn and, you know, just, uh, I became a street kid. I literally became a street kid. And um, one day when I, in 2001, I grew, I woke up and I knew in my heart of hearts that I was one, either going to get hit by a Mack truck walking down the middle of the road in a blackout. Two, I was going to get pulled over and do 25 years to life for the contents of my trunk. Um, because I was doing a lot of really bad stuff uh, for a long time. And um, I just didn't want to do that anymore. So my story is, is I just went to a meeting and I got really, really lucky. And, um, you know, I had long hair down to here. I was 27 years old. Um, I was a month and a half sober. I lost my mom to cancer. And I literally was at that proverbial crossroads. I was going to eat the barrel of my shotgun or I was going to go to the meeting. And uh, for some reason, um, I went to the meeting and uh, awesome. my life was uh, forever changed. I, I kind of I'm a very uh, intense individual, so I don't really do things halfway. I, I love, um, I kind of live in the extremes. I either, you know, work out seven days a week until I get hurt or I don't work out at all. <laughs> yeah, it's either all or nothing. <laughs> it's, it's all, all or nothing. nothing. Right, yeah. I, I, I Half measures availed us nothing. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I, I definitely want to get back to that point because I think that's really important about uh, the state of addiction treatment in this country right now. Um, but, you know, just in short, my recovery was very, very intense. I, uh, I put everything in my life on hold and I just focused on, on what I needed to do um, to stay. In the beginning, it was just stay away from one drink or one drug for one day. That was as, little, as simple as my life could be. Um, I didn't have a lot of life skills when I first got sober. Um, I like hadn't read anything besides a menu or a street sign in like six years, uh, like literally. Um, I was, uh, I was literally a street kid. Um, I, I'm, I'm like a chameleon like that. I'm very good at adapting to my environment. Um, I can immediately kind of assume um, where I'm at, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, then, then, okay, so let's pause real quick. Let's pause a minute because sure. I, we haven't even, I haven't even done an intro or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why, okay, so the reason why I wanted to talk to you, so for everybody else listening, so Josh, you got a hold of me. Mm -hmm. um, you'd heard on one of the podcasts or somewhere else that, you know, I help people. If you want to, you know, you wanted to go out elk hunting this upcoming year, you had a plan in mind where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do, but you wanted to have a second set of eyes on it. And sure. so we set up a time and, and we had a zoom meeting last week where we went through your entire, you know, hunt plan and, and where you were looking at everything. And I, I still, to this day, I, I, I think it's a good plan. The, yeah. the, and the, the curious thing about what happened in that interaction was not so I, I mean, I enjoyed the, the talking about elk hunting and all that, but the funny part was, is when you told me who you were and what you were doing, mm -hmm. I was a few days into <laughs> my, my quote unquote, sober February type of deal. Yeah. So yeah. you um, look a little better, by the way. <laughs> don't say that because that, because you were a little flushed, I think you're only a few days your headaches were still you still had headaches or something right 
Solid nine days, man. Yeah, yeah. Solid yeah. nine or ten days. And so yeah. here, so let's let's. You, you were a little, you were a little turned up, I think. <laughs> man, and and I don't think. Okay, so let let me let me finish. <laughs> let me let me finish here. So that's the thing is, so we're we're gonna we're gonna dive into all this, man. Yeah. As long as long as time as much time as you have, or your you yeah, and your wife have, or whatever, we want to talk about it because it didn't even it didn't even turn into something that I really started thinking about. Mm-hmm. until you know you and i spoke and then literally matt it, and i am less i had the plan yeah of sitting down and writing notes especially about motivational motivational interviewing mm-hmm. uh, i i got into the studio about 30 minutes prior because i had so and a buddy of mine called one of the land, a, fr- a good friend of mine and one of the landowners i work with Mm-hmm. And he just, he was just driving, you know, windshield time, driving down the road, wanting to know what I was sure. doing. Hey, and doing? he asked me about how, cause I told him, I said, you know, we're not, I'm not going to have, so for anybody listening, I decided for February, no alcohol, sure. no caffeine. Mm-hmm. And I was finally going to start getting serious about getting cardio, but you know, just doing some cardio stuff. So I've got three things going on. That's just going to throw a monkey wrench into anything. But so yeah. he just, he just wanted to know how I was doing. Well, we started talking and for the past 30 minutes, he starts telling me about why he stops drinking. Yeah. And he's in the same boat where it wasn't like we had, we felt like we had a problem, sure. but it was one of those things where we're like, okay, I don't feel like I have a problem, but I could see where if this trend can di- continues, yeah, maybe, sure. I, maybe I would have a problem or maybe at the very least I don't have a function, you know, maybe I don't have a quote unquote addiction, but I know I'm not doing good things for my body. So right. for those listening for, so for me, um, and I think you and I, and this, and I'll go into details that maybe you and I didn't talk about last week. Yeah. So you hear all, you know, Joe Rogan makes a joke of, you know, sober October and everybody, you know, him and his buddies, they make a bet and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, and you're talking about, about Joe Rogan. Every day for yeah. So, so Joe, I mean, he's, he's doing, he's drinking alcohol. He's yeah, doing yeah. all sorts of different, you know, drugs, not maybe not the hard drugs, but he's doing shrooms and, and marijuana and that type of stuff. So for their little group of, of guys, the sober October thing was always, you know, this kind of funny thing to watch and listen to because each guy would have a different level of ability to actually pull, you know, to pull it yeah. off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and, and then there's other people that talk about all the time about, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll just stop drinking for January or whatever, just to, you know, just to detox and yeah, all that. Type of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for me, so two things, two things for me, you know, and it, it's funny and I, I, I joke about we, you and I were joking about the water bottle. Um, you know, for those that have heard me on, on Kafaru cast, the, the podcast with, with Kafaru, um, Aaron is a, is a morning person and Aaron and Frank are morning people. I mean, they're up at Krakow in the morning. I am not, I'm a night owl. So every time that we would do, they'd want to do a podcast and I was in town. They're like, yeah, let's do a podcast. I'm like, all right, what time? They're like, uh, how about six? I'm like, in the morning. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. So, but, but, yeah, but regardless, every time it was early in the morning. So yeah. guess what Chrissy has in his hand? I've got like one or two monster, you know, I drink yeah. the monster rehabs. I don't like oh, a lot of sugar. You know, I, I can't handle a lot of sugar. Nasty, dude. That stuff is bad for you, dude. That's awesome. It's the sweet nectar of life, man. It is the rehabs don't have any sugar. And so, but regardless, and they make all sorts of tasty flavors. 
So I would show up to a podcast and I'd have at least one or two of those. And then they'd have the kill cliff there. And I might even tap into one of them, depending on how I, you know, I, I wasn't showing up with my normal water bottle, but so I drink a lot of caffeine, both, I think, and, and I think one, and we'll get to this, I think one snowballs in the other, but I just, I don't know. It's always been this case. I always have some sort of liquid in arm's reach. I'm constantly drinking liquid all day long. What's your, what's your alcohol consumption generally like? <laughs> like as of up until uh, before February 1st? Well, I mean, I assume that you haven't had a drink since February 1st, but maybe, maybe you have. No, but, nope, no generally during, during the, your normal course of like the last 12 months. Oh, brutal. Brutal. You drink every day. You drink in during the day, in the evening, in the morning. No, no, never in the morning. Okay. So that's the thing that that's the thing that 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 your one rule, like as long as I don't drink in the morning, I don't have a problem. As long as it's afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly like for some reason, there's some magic barometer that makes any difference, right? Correct. At 1201 PM, (laughs) it's fair game. so classic it's fair yeah. game okay yeah. but now hold on a minute hold on because this is this, 100 million other americans <laughs> okay so this is what this this is why it's going to be a fun conversation and and this is a situation where i hope people listening uh, listen i really truly believe that i'm yeah. not an anomaly and yeah, especially no, no, after no, no, these no, no, past no, no, couple no. years of even people and just real quick even people who do have quote-unquote alcoholism Okay, 80% of those people, it's probably higher than that. But if you look at the national alcohol statistics, uh, 80 80 to, I would think 80 to 90% are high functioning alcoholics. That's me. They get up up every day, they go to work, they function at a high level, they're, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, they've been very successful, they go to work every day, they have a good family, they don't abuse their kids, they have a good relationship with their wife. They show up when they're supposed to show up. They take care of all their responsibilities. Yep. You wouldn't, they, you wouldn't have a clue. And they, and they, you wouldn't have any idea. 2%, Chris, 2% of all alcoholics are the homeless wino person, the wino street bum that you would see on, you know, that stereotypical alcoholic. 2%. Man. Yeah, so, and, and, and I, and I don't, it, of course, anybody says you're an alcoholic. You're like, you know, you're just, I mean, there's gestures going, you're yeah. like, screw you, man. Yeah. And but- I'll, I'll never forget when my, when my sponsor said to me, uh, very early in my recovery, he said, you can drink once a year and be an alcoholic. Yeah. If you can't control it, is that what if you, it, it doesn't have anything to do about when you drink, why you drink, how much you drink. It doesn't, none of that means anything. It's what happens to you when you put that first sip of alcohol into your body. Does it set up a phenomenon of craving? Does it, do you then lose the control if you how many times do you go to drink and you say i'm just going to have two glasses of wine tonight with dinner and it doesn't happen i'm just going to have i'm going to bring a six pack to the party and that's it and then you blink your eyes and it's one o'clock in the morning and you guys are doing shots see that's where i okay so that never happened with me but But here's no it's different for everybody no uh, correct let me let me just show again for those because this is like deviating right now like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> way off from what normally row hunting resources talks about. All right. But I think this is, this is fascinating because 
Yeah. The more no, people- It's very interesting. It's very interesting. And, and, and oh, yeah. listen, no one can tell you that you're an alcoholic. I can't tell you that you're an alcoholic, a psychiatrist, a therapist. It's, it, it's up to you, man. Well, it, it, it's what, literally what I, up to every single person. I always use this analogy. If you replaced alcohol with strawberries, and for some reason, you eating strawberries caused problems, challenges, weight gain, comorbidities, any, any stress or whatever in your life, you would just fucking cut the strawberries out of your life. They don't serve any purpose for you. They don't yeah. present any you know, comfort or yeah. th th there's, there's nothing that you can get from strawberries where you would be like, I'm just going to cut those out of my, okay, fine. I won't eat strawberries anymore. It doesn't make any difference. Alcohol, not so much. No. And, and especially <laughs> when you have that tolerance buildup. So, okay. Yeah. So again, let me, let me, let me, let me set this uh, up. Yeah, so yeah. let me set up. So for me, I, I always am drinking something and I'll probably, you know, this is uh, again, no sugar. This is just a, either a Mio or a Propel drink mix, or this, this what right, happens right. to be a Gatorade, no sugar drink mix, but I've, I've constantly got a water bottle in my hand and I'll literally drink legitimately a couple gallons of fluid a day. Okay. And so if I'm out in the garage working or I'm doing my habitat stuff and I'm outside working all day and it's, you know, dusty or dry or hot or whatever. And I used to brew beer and I'll mm -hmm. get to that in a minute, but man, or you, you, you have some pretzels or potato chips or whatever. There's just something about the crisp, clean, cold, just a, oh, just a cold it. beer. I get you know what I mean, in the afternoon, it's like it. I'm working in the garage. And literally, I told Kelly, and this is just a segue the other day. And she asked her how it was going. I'm like, I'm, dude, I'm I'm good. It's just I don't miss the wine at night. At the, And I'm, I'll segue real quick. I don't miss the wine at night. It's like it's literally me working during the day on a nice day. And then I'm like, man, I'd like a nice yeah. cold beer. Yeah. Not because I want to get buzzed. Not right. because I want to. You, uh, you, you, you enjoy that as part of your life. I love uh, that. This is what I say to younger people. I always say this. Listen, if you envision having alcohol as some part of your life in the future, don't fuck it up now. <laughs> there you go. If you, because if you take a cucumber and you stick it in vinegar, you long enough, yeah. right? It turns into a pickle. There's no going back. Yeah. Yeah. Once you yeah. cross that invisible line, you flip the switch. With the neurons and your DNA, there's all kinds of science, brain science now behind alcoholism and drug addiction and all this other mumbo jumbo. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, if you bathe your neurons in alcohol for too long, something breaks. Well, and that's that and is you what can't go back. So I think having, you know, that, you know, testing yourself to find out what your relationship with alcohol is about is very, very important. And that's where and that's where I'm at right now, because yeah, so for me. And, and now I, I obviously hindsight's 2020, or at least it has a lot, lot, lot more clarity. And so I started looking back on things and, you know, I realized a couple of things. Number one, I have, and, and I was just talking with my buddy about this and it really just clicked with me. I have a very low pain tolerance, mm -hmm. but I have a massively high tolerance for drugs. Meaning if, if I take an aspirin, as if I ever have to take ibuprofen, I'm taking 800 milligrams of ibuprofen right. because that's where, if I go to the dentist mm. and yeah, they, they need gotta, to do, they gotta jam you up, right. 
like three doses yeah, in I mean, order for yeah, for me yeah, to actually be reasons, <laughs> you know and so i mean i have a and even uh i was on some medication for uh the cholesterol stuff mm-hmm. i had to, they had to just ramp it up just because i just i don't respond mm-hmm. to normal or low doses of of substance I, i've yeah, got yeah. a massively high tolerance and that's what I started realizing with my wine consumption at night. It wasn't, I never had this, uh, the, the desire to, I just want to get wasted. I've never been that. I think I've been drunk or waste, you know, like completely out of it. Like that I know that I know vividly like twice in my entire life. Cause I don't like getting there. That's crazy. However, <laughs> what I did like was, okay. The first one you have a long day, you had sit down with dinner it's really nice to have a glass of wine. And I do really like a, a, a nice Cabernet. Um, I like all sorts of wines, but we found a, a wine that we just love. And the other flip side of that is it's one of the Boda box box wines. So it's harder to tell how much you're drinking. It's not like you pop a bottle and you finish a bottle and you're like, Oh, I'm done. No, that's got four bottles of wine in it. I think there's a little marketing strategy from the, uh... Ooh, it's for me. <laughs> It's dangerous because I'll sit down and have a glass of wine for dinner. Sure. And it's just like, nice, just to relax. We, Kelly goes to bed early because my wife works early, starts her day early in the morning. So we'll like watch an episode or two of of TV or whatever. And then she goes to bed and then I stay up because I'm a night, uh, night owl guy. And I'll either work on videos or I'll work on notes or I'm learning stuff or whatever. But what I started and this maybe we can touch on too. And, and I've heard other people talk about it. Um, there's that. And some people find it with mushrooms. Some people find it with weed or whatever. But for me, there was this, there was this bell shaped curve where all of a sudden, and I don't know what quantity it was, but it really is with wine, especially where I'll have like a one or two glasses of wine. And all of a sudden, man, am I creative. Man, yeah. can I, can I think, yeah. I, I think yeah. outside the box and, and yeah. things are clicking and, and man, I, and I'm making notes and I'm learning stuff and it's like, oh, this and that. And, this. and that, that to me is addictive to where yeah. I'm like, holy hell, my, my mind just expo- mind expanded yeah. Yeah. and I'm like, I want more. And so grab another glass and then I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. grab another glass, oh, yeah, yeah. grab another glass. And by the time I'm done it either, I'm like, dude, I just. I just like put back, I just drank, I just drank a half a box of wine, which is two <laughs> bottles. Yeah. Right. Or, or it's one of those things where I'm just like sucking it down. I'm like, this is, a, and then all of a sudden that cumulative starts to hit. And I'm like, Ooh, mm. that was too much. I need to go to bed. Mm. And so I go to bed. Well, I mean, now it's really a progressive thing. It, it doesn't, you know, there's a, a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Right. So if you, if you slowly, you can, you can get to the same place in many different ways, right? You can slowly drink over time. You know, my, my grandfather, uh, when he was in his eighties, got sick and went to the hospital and they asked him, you know, do you drink? And he goes, yeah, I'll have have a beer. And he literally had one or two beers a night for 50 years. Yeah. Every single night, seven days a week, 365 days a year, he had one or maybe two beers, one and a half. He'd be down, you know, he worked in a foundry. He would come into the basement. He'd, you know, build his little stuff or do whatever he was doing, tinkering around, and he'd have a beer. 
He went into a grand mal seizure in the hospital in his 80s because he was physically dependent upon alcohol from drinking one beer a day. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. So, so there's, there's a lot of different ways you can get there. He was, you know, maybe alcoholic, maybe not. You know, it, it's, 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 there's a lot, again, there's a lot of new brain science on it, but, you know, yeah. there's genetic factors now that go into it. You know, if, if, you know, both your parents or you have alcoholism in your family, you're more predisposed. So if you do drink for long periods of time, you can flip that switch earlier in life. Well, and that, and see, that's where, and this is where I, you know, I, yeah, I said a hindsight is 2020. Again, I, this is, this conversation really, I don't even, for, for this, for me, in my mind, this conversation isn't even really about me or about you or whatever. I, I look at all the, again, the number of friends that since I've said this and I shared this, they're saying, oh yeah, same thing, same thing, same thing. I'm like, holy hell, man. Yeah, because I, 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 I fly a lot and I can't, when I get on a plane and someone asks me what I do for a living, I lie because I don't want to hear about their aunt and their drinking problems. I really don't. I'm like, I'm a consultant and that's all I say. There, there you yeah. go. If I say I work in addiction treatment, they're like, oh, my cousin's nephews just yeah, went yeah. to rehab. And it's just like, now I got a two hour Meanwhile, they're actually talking about themselves. Yeah. And they're drinking on the plane. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, guy. So like, for drinking. me, so really, it really came to, I mean, for me, it really came into clarity, not clarity. It, it became one of those things where I need to test myself. I need to check because for me, these last couple of years, I was one of the first, I, I was one of those people that got COVID. Like as soon as COVID like hit the United yeah, States, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I probably got it. And, and yeah. I got the bad version in it. I, I think to this day, and, and I've gone to all the doctors and all the specialists and everybody else, um, yeah. there's technically nothing wrong, but right. yet they also can't yeah, figure out fatigue and all this other nonsense. Yeah. Fatigue, you know, and this chronic cough that never goes away. Sure. And so the part of now part, if you want, I've, I've actually talked to some guys and i got covid a little while ago and there's some really cool uh, antioxidant protocols that you can go on with um glutathione drips and vitamin drips and stuff like that right, we're, 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 we'll, 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 we'll segue really help dude big time we'll, we'll segue into that because that might be because part yeah. of what this was is at the end of 2000 going into 2001 i'm i literally uh, not in a panic but in a like let's just say a highly a heightened state of concern yeah. Basically made my doctor, I would say, all right, I need to see a pulmonologist. I need, because I thought I was going to die yeah. because I couldn't breathe. I had just massive chest tightness. I just, yeah. just, I've got 14 steps in my house and there's yeah. handrails. It's an old, old house. There's yeah, yeah. handrails on both sides of the stairs. And it, you know, it's, it's an old farmhouse. So the stairs are like this wide. Dude, there was times where I would go up the stairs and I'd have to pull myself up with a handrail, get to the top it and just, just stop. Right around, didn't it? Yeah. It just, it was brutal. Yeah. Now, I, same thing happened to me. And I, I'm like pretty fit. Been doing jiu-jitsu yeah. since 2006. Like I'm, I'm in good shape. Like, well, I had, like well, and, see, I, and for me, I knew that my cardiovascular fitness, since I moved to Kansas kind of just started, you know, like you're in an airplane, an efficient airplane, you just kill the engine. You're still moving forward. You're still flying, but you're, you're dropping an, you're dropping an altitude. Okay. So my fitness cardiovascular was dropping off and then 2020 hit and I got COVID and I just freaking tanked and it was 18 months of, I just couldn't get out of that condition. Now, with that being said, I kept telling my doctors, I've got this massive, just test chest tightness. And they're like, Oh, that sounds like heart stuff. But then I go do the heart test and there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Yeah. One of now, but again, here I am. I like my wine at night. I go to bed. 
I wake up in the next morning and I'm tired because I'm not a morning person. I'm tired. I got to get shit done. So I start hammering the caffeine Yeah, and I might have one. No, I'll have two. Maybe I'll have three monsters back to back or through the day. So I'm like, I'm, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is not good for your overall health. And correct. Okay. So that's the thing is so, so now, you know, different doctors were telling me different things, but every yeah. time I got on the, uh, what the quantity of caffeine was, they were like, oh yeah. It doesn't mean that it doesn't spike your insulin, you know? <laughs> okay. So, and one of the side effects of high caffeine is ch- tightness of chest. And so I'm yeah, like, okay, right. then I need to, I need to, if, if the doctors yeah, are not. Set the catch, right? Let's just clean slate. Yep. Yeah. Pure. I'm, I'm yeah. literally going to detox from everything that I can think of. Yeah. And that's where I'm finally, you know, I kept you know, like, I was going to do it last year and then I didn't, and then I was going to, and it kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. I mean, life gets busy, man. You know I mean? Yeah. It's and, and it's just convenient to get in that cycle. Sure. And again, I'm not getting shit faced every night. No. You know, and I'm, and, and, and so I figured, okay, I, I just need to kid. I just need to cut everything. And I, Oh, sorry. Real segue. You were talking about genetics and I, I thought about the same thing as like my grandfather was the same way. Now he died of colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but same night he would in the afternoon, he'd pop a, he'd pop a beer and he'd have, he would drink several beers a night, you mm-hmm. know, from, you know, early afternoon after lunch or whatever, not slamming them. He just have a beer. And then a little while later, you have another beer and a little while later, he'd probably drink a six pack or one and a half, six packs each day. I never saw him or perceived him to be a drunk. Same thing with my uncle. Now, my uncle Rocky, things now, again, you sit back and you look back, you're like, oh, hell. My my first drink was when I was a kid. I don't Mm. remember what age. I was was young. I was like five. Like grabbing my granddad's. You know, beer off the end table and taking a pull, right? And setting it back down. He's like, ah, there you go, kid. (laughs) Mine was mine was my uncle Rocky. My uncle Rocky, he had a massive liquor cabinet, hard alcohol. (laughs) And he would literally go to the the liquor cabinet and he'd pull out one of those big, you know, shaker tumblers. Okay. And he'd just start grabbing stuff. (laughs) And he would fill that. He'd have like a 32 ounce mixed drink. Yeah. And that's what he drink one or two or three of those in an evening, oh, yeah. like, like he water. Shattered. He was shattered. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't matter who you are. You drink three thirty-two ounces of hot alcohol, you're going down, boy. <laughs> I never saw. I never saw him or perceived him to right. be out of uh, out. Of, he was. You want to talk about yeah. high functioning? Yeah. I, I, now maybe when we went to bed, because obviously I was a kid, I would yeah, go to bed earlier. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. never saw and, what he did. Your perception of of the but, adults when you're a child is like yeah. they they can't do anything wrong, you know. Correct. Like, and and I was control and always, especially at that generation, because they were much more quiet. They didn't talk as much. And, right? and quite honestly, good. if Uncle Rocky started to go, uh, maybe that's when we went home. I yeah, didn't. Yeah. I didn't. All right, kids, let's go. <laughs> yep. And that may be that maybe the case. I got in the truck and you were out of there, right? <laughs> but you look. But you look at the pictures of it, and I mean the nose and oh, the yeah. the face. I mean, just you could tell. You you look back and you're like, oh hell yeah. Now, we're, if he was just a slosh, stupid drunk, yeah. I don't think so. But I think he was a massively high functioning. He just that's all he did. And yeah. so I looked at it myself. I'm like, okay, I know I have a high tolerance of, of regular drugs. Mm. I know I have a high tolerance for, for alcohol. 
alcohol. If yeah. if I don't if I don't just consciously go, I, some I, I've got I've I I need to I need to I need to purge. A I think I'm reason the reason why I'm drinking so much caffeine in the morning is because when I when I go to sleep at night, I've got an app on my phone that that monitors my sleep, yeah. and I can tell as clear as day. Yeah. When if I drank at night. And then went to sleep. My sleep was just crap. Yeah. But if I'm at elk camp, you don't, get, you don't you don't get quality REM sleep when you correct have, correct. Right. And so the next morning, I feel more tired, so I need to drink more, but or drink more caffeine. But if yeah. I'm at elk camp, you're on the hamster wheel. Yeah, Bingo. but then you spend ten days in the wilderness and you come out and you feel like a million dollars. Correct. Walk fifty miles and burn four thousand calories a day, and you're like, holy shit! I've been eating dehydrated foods. Like, yep. why do I feel better? I mean, yes. I'm tired, but I. Overall, yes. I'm like sleeping like a rock, waking up in the, you know, three 30 in the morning, like all bright eyed and bushy tailed. I don't yes. have any caffeine. I'm drinking yep. one cup of coffee in the morning with my oatmeal and that's it. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah, literally yeah. it. It's, it, it got to the point where I'm like, okay, I know I've got some stuff now with my health that I'm going, I, I'm, I'm just always going to have to deal with number one, but number two, I've got to get, I've got to get some shit straightened out because. Yeah, but that's already- not necessarily true. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, I think. There's a massive problem in the United States. The, 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 the obesity rates have gone up to 40%. 40% of 330 million people is a lot of fucking people, Chris. Yeah, well, uh, uh, trust are, me. Are, are obese or morbidly obese. So 30 to 35% above their, the body mass index for their height and, and age and all that, right? And I saw, so, Kyle- so we don't have health care in this country. We have sick care. Yeah, and, and there's, I there's saw it. no preventative or health optimization programs. They're all private pay. Well, and look at what look at the, the COVID. Cover look, anything. I mean, look at all the COVID stuff. You you couldn't you could not talk about someone's health profile prior it's to them getting the pharmaceutical sick. Pharmaceutical companies run the healthcare yeah. system in this country. Yeah, I I noticed it in Colorado. I mean, so we lived in Colorado for well, I've been in, I lived in Colorado from ninety five until twenty fifteen, and. Ooh. Um, that, that was just like, you can talk about losing altitude as far as the, I mean, Colorado oh, just went, just went like from an amazing place to live to like, boom, dude, it, it's so last summer. So we still do our work for row ecological services, consulting and doing wildlife consulting yeah. and that type of stuff and, and management, um, in Colorado. Yeah. A, a lot of it is, is still based in Colorado. So I went back there last summer to work. I was, I was floored, man. Now, obviously, you know, so I, I had some friends and I've spent some time down in the Trinidad area of Colorado and that place used to be beautiful. I, I, I still love that Southern end of, of Colorado, big Ponderosa pines and beautiful oak brush and it's beautiful country, but Trinidad, because they're the first town over the border has turned into a marijuana center like yeah. there's, uh, there's probably 20 or 40 different marijuana places in Trinidad and the number of, and I didn't, I, I was one of those people like, yeah, let, let's go ahead and legalize it. And I, I'm, I probably still lean that way, but yeah, the, yeah. the reality is the, the type of people that that attracts mm. also comes with it. And, and you look at Trinidad now and it's like, good Lord, man, they're just the, just the transients and the homeless, the people that just don't give a shit. Well, Denver. Yeah. I'm in Denver. I'm, I'm in the Denver okay. Metro. So you got Denver and then you get all the cities around Denver and Den- Den- Denver Metro. So, so when the gangbangers from Los Angeles get in trouble, they like since the 90s, they get shipped to Denver. They're, you know, 
dude, it's it's sad. So I, I'm literally well, not the only the worst I'm, or the worst. Get they just they they put them in a car and they drive them to Denver. It's insane. Well, they're they're doing they're doing that with other people now. But I got out, <laughs> so I'm working there, and not only am I seeing the transients, and so the hotel I'm staying at, I'm like, what the freaking hell is going on here? There was some other stuff going on, but the the one about the obesity, the one thing that just shocked me, Colorado used to be one of the most healthiest states. Yeah, everyone's outdoor and hiking and. But I just go in the nineties. Boulder was amazing. I start walking around and I'm like, everyone is large and and it's not okay. And I understand there's people that have metabolic issues. I've got some neighbors that are older that they have issues, but I'm looking at children and teenagers that are just childhood, childhood obesity has gone up. Like, 10 percent it's crazy so which is, if you which is going to ripple through this society for the next 30 years it, it, that's because, it. You know, when you're a child and you become obese that stays with you your whole life even if even if by the time you're 18 years old you get fit you will always view yourself as overweight yeah so you got the psychological parts of it and, and the, the, physical. the psychological ramifications of being over obese as a child are so detrimental the 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 trauma and the because you get picked on as a kid in school which is your whole life when you're in well maybe not maybe not if your entire class is that way yeah it's still bad man it's like it's just it's really really bad i mean we work with with adolescents as well and it's now i i mean i think i I think the long tail effects of covid are gonna it's going to take 20 years to dig out of this. Well, and this, and this is, and quite honestly, man, this is why I wanted to have this conversation. This, this part of the conversation, I still want, I still want to get to some of the other stuff, but this part of the conversation was, is, you know, the number of friends. So for me, again, for me, it was never about, I did not drink because I wanted to get shit faced or I wanted to get tipsy. Sure. I liked, I love, I love the flavor and the feel. I just love a good Cabernet for, for dinner or in the evening, just to, you just, it's just nice to melt. And even just saying that tells you, yes, you do like that, that the alcohol effect of just this, uh, you know what I mean? Just that calming effect that you, that you can have. And then it was, okay, the next couple of drinks, the reason why I like it is because it started just it allowed me to just really start connecting dots and think outside the box. And, and that was, a, that to me is the addictive part. And yeah. then while I was in that frame of mind, again, because I just am constantly consuming liquid rather than stopping, grabbing a glass of wine and going back to water or whatever, it was just like, just, I've got a box, I've got a boat, box, just, just fill another and just keep hammering. Yeah. To where again, my I got, I got sober before the box wine even came out. Actually. Man, you're a lucky man because yeah. it's and, and, and not, I've, I've literally had three glasses of wine my entire life. Well, <laughs> wine is see that's the thing is so I I talked about brewing beer and and I really do like to I like beer and I'm good at I'm actually pretty good at brewing beer and yeah. so you first start out as a hobby you're bottling your beer okay yeah. well. At some point, most people that are hobbyists, they get out of the bottling stage because that's a, that's a tedious pain in the ass. Yeah, let's make a keg. Bingo. <laughs> and guess what? Christy's got a kegerator in the back porch to where I've got four, I've got four pony kegs in there 
on a, on a, on a, at any time I walk by, because again, I'm usually drinking liquid, but damn that, you know, I'd have been been dead. Thank God I didn't have a life to, uh, to get to that point because I just, I'd be dead. Well, see, so (laughs) I finally, luckily, and it was kind of funny because our, I was doing the brewing of the beer on our kitchen stove. Okay. Well, the kitchen stove started to crap out and I couldn't maintain temperature. So I can't brew, I couldn't brew beer. So I just kind of put it on the, on the, the, the back burner, no pun intended. So I haven't brewed and now, and, and then, then finally we found, you know, the wine and we got, on, I got on this wine kick and I was like, I don't, you know, I'll get a couple six packs here or there and I'll, you know, whittle at them, you know, on and off during the day or whatever. But at night we, we drink wine. And so it never, it was never one of these things where I just wanted to get an alcohol because I just needed to tune life out. Mm. It just happened. It just was just one of these things that just happened. And the number of people that, you know, especially these past two years, the number of friends that are like, oh yeah, same thing. I'm like, okay. So my business has tripled in the last two years. I I bet I, it has to have been. It's tripled because it's only going to go up from here because the long-term effects, because people like you, right? Listen, you may go and live the rest of your life and be happy, joyous, and free and never turn into a serious drinking problem where you lose control, right? 30%, Thirty percent, maybe more of people. That's not going to be the case. Yeah, they're, they're, it's they. They may not be. You know, like you said, the two percent out there homeless. That may take and, five years to manifest. Yeah, that may take eight years to manifest. But you take thirty percent of, let's say, a hundred million people that have got into this. You know, drinking a little bit too much during COVID. What, what do they say? Twenty to thirty pounds, the average weight gain. How many people have lost their job? People are depressed. Their kids are having problems. They're having problems with school. They're having problems with their friends. Now the kids are in electronics. They're not reading. They're not doing play dates. They're like, let's just call each other on the iPad. Ten year olds. It's like, my kids. And, and like, what's, what's and going what's on the? I can't like. I mean, the long term effects of all the systemic issues that have, you know, been brought about because of COVID, aren't going to manifest. Yeah. Right. Away. So there's a lot that's going to manifest with it, you know, this year and next year and the year after. But I think the long term real man- manifestations are going to take five to 10 years. Yeah. And, 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 you gonna, can, and that's going to be bad. And, and we can even we can even parse that out between the 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 direct health effects of the behavior of these past few, two years, yeah, yeah. let alone the development of habits. Oh, and lifestyles that that affects way more many people. Six. I mean, uh, divorce rates in 2020, we broke. We like they were up 600 percent from the year before. Crazy. The the family unit is just getting smashed, which everybody knows that solid family units are the most stable way for societies to run. I mean, it's just it's just it's just a fact. Right. If You have a mom and dad living in a house and a kid and a job and 2.5 kids in the a dog and the picket fence and all that nonsense, you're going to have a better life than if the kids are separated and it's just the way it is. Yeah. Well, so it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Well, for me, if anybody's listening for me, it was, it ended up being one of those things where, okay, I just turned 50. I know that I've, I, and we'll talk about some of the stuff and maybe we can, we, maybe that's a, a separate conversation, but some of the COVID stuff, regardless, I knew that a, I knew my cardiovascular strength had gone stupidly in the toilet. Okay. I I had to, I've got to fix that. And then I had to figure out what this was. Mm -hmm. And part of it was, okay, 
is it my caffeine consumption? And then I was like, all right, so I need to kill, I need to cut my caffeine consumption. I'm, I'm just going to go cold turkey at least for a month and just, just see what ends up happening. And then I started, you know, more, like you just said, with more data. Uh, I know you've got to know who uh, Andrew Huberman, the Huberman lab, you know, I'm, I'm listening to some of his stuff and they're talking about, you know, what alcohol does to the, you know, the neurons, you know, the brain stuff and, and the, the re- and especially, and this is what scared me was not only the alcohol side of it, but, you know, the people that talk about sleep and, you know, Peter Atia talked even about sleep as well as, as far as the fact that, you know, if you are not getting good sleep at night, your your risk of Alzheimer's and dementia and everything is just skyrockets. You are smoked. And so it's all like, okay. The, all of the healing, whether it's in our brain, in our muscle tissue, fibers, all that in our gut, all the healing happens during sleep. And so if you get from your brain stuff that's going on and then liver stuff function going on, you know, it's like, okay, I know that Sugar levels are through the roof. You get, you know. I, I just, I was like, all right. So, and, and quite honestly, you tell me, I don't even, I don't have a clue about the insulin thing. All I thought was, is I clearly am consuming too much alcohol, not from, a, not, not because it's altering my behavior. Listen, I'm, I'm not just consuming too much alcohol. Every rabbit hole with Huberman and Ben Greenfield and all these guys. I got a, you know, concierge doc that I have. I've been blessed to be able to afford that. Um, I got a naturopath doctor that I meet with on a regular basis just to go over my diet, blood levels. I get my blood drawn regularly. I monitor all that stuff. You know, I'm 47 years old. Um, I, I'm obsessed with jujitsu and have been for, you know, 15 years. Um, I love to hunt hard. I like to be, you know, I don't want to be able to, I don't want to have to not do the things that I love when I'm in my fifties or even when I'm in my sixties, I want to hunt until I'm old. I want to do jujitsu for the rest of my life. I want to be able to, you know, I coach my daughter's soccer team, you know, my teach my daughter's jujitsu class. Like I want to be able to do the things and live my life and I don't want to have to suffer. Right. And and I'm not going to settle for less. I don't want to just get by. I didn't like get sober and go through all the work of getting sober and put my life on hold for so many years to get my life together. Um, you know, I've built very successful businesses. Um, you know, I, I want to enjoy life, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I get more out of like eating clean food and having a good day and getting good sleep than I ever did out of drinking a Budweiser at a cookout. Well, and the, and the, the, you'd mentioned it, you know, I I'm telling you. So the first thing that I noticed, so again, I've got two, I've got three things going. That's the problem. I'm, I'm doing three things all at the same time that ends up throwing a, a, you know, confounding variables in there. The, the one with it for wine at night, I, I was, I had no problem turning that off. Um, for a couple nights there, it was like, man, I, you know, I could still, I still had the memory of the taste. I was like, man, it tastes good. And I would really like a glass of wine. And the funny part is, and I'm not throwing my wife under the bus at all, but so she was going to do it with me. I said, was, I'm not going to go into any further than that. (laughs) So she started the first couple nights and and, first couple days with me. And and then all of a sudden she's like, yeah, but I, I just start listening to her rationalize why 
it's not a problem. And, it, you know, I could just have this. And I, and I just last, I said, you do realize you're literally going through every excuse that an alcoholic would go through <laughs> to justify why it's not a big deal to just go get a bottle of wine right now. So you could have a glass tonight. But anyway, I digress. So for me, the first couple of nights, I was like, it was just a, it was almost like a muscle memory type of deal. That's the only way I could uh, describe it. Well, but, I mean, how, how many years have you been drinking at night? Oh, geez. But uh, for, especially these past two years. Right. But even oh, just yeah. before that, I mean, oh, just, I mean, oh. yeah, yeah, decades, right? So, I, decades. Mean, I mean, you're not going to break. I mean, how long does it take to build a habit, right? There's been a lot of talk about that. 30 to 45 days. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, so it's like, I mean, you do something for a decade, you know, I always say if you walked into the woods, for 20 years, you think you're going to walk out in 90 days? Yeah. 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 This is not going to happen, dude. Yeah. You know well, what I, mean? Well, like, I, I mean, I was, I was encouraged. I was encouraged. The fact that I was like, man, this isn't really, I'm, I'm, I don't feel any, it's not like I'm feeling any withdrawals. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anxious. I'm not like needing anything. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. And I was getting, I mean, instantly started getting great night's sleep. I'm like, okay, that, okay. All right. There's, this it's legit okay it's real it's real the issue was the caffeine man that sucked i mean i like i said nine nine solid or ten solid days of just all day every day splitting headache yeah that nothing i mean it doesn't matter if it doesn't even give you energy it's an antagonist so it shuts off the part of your brain that makes you feel tired so it doesn't give you energy. You just receive energy, especially if you, you're drinking it at night because your melatonin's kicking in, right? When the sun goes down, like your body's getting ready to put it, shut itself off to go to sleep. And then you shut off the mechanism that tells your body to go to sleep. So that's what gives you the energy, but it's not real energy. Yeah. So it's like, it's like tricks your brain into thinking that you're not tired. Well, um, that, that, so that's the one. That, when you do that for over and over and over day after day after day for months and years, and then you take it away, the wiring in your brain. Exactly. It's squirrely. Yeah. And, and that's, and so now I, I don't have, I mean, I might have a little headache here and there, but now it's just the mornings, just, just tired. You know, you feel tired, even though yeah. I had a great night's sleep. You've got some great advice about that. If you get outside for 15 to 20 minutes and that's no sunglasses, just absorb the sun in the no, beginning, no, you'll, get a, you'll get a cortisol spike. None of right? yeah, none of this. Cortisol gives you real energy. That's yeah. real energy. When you get so, cortisol, boom, you wake up because that's I'm, the hormone that wakes you up. And and I'm I'm starting to go down that I'm starting to put some of that into practice as well. Um yeah. the other thing that I blue light glasses at night, when if you're looking at screens at night or you're watching TV or anything like that, you put those blue blockers that that stops the whatever it does in your brain. Again, I'm not a scientist. I just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things work. I have readers now. Um, if I'm going to be on my phone at night and my readers have automatically just have the blue blocker in the readers. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm blind at two feet. Yeah. Um, I can see distance is great, but when I hit 40 years old, my, I went, I had 2010 vision my whole life and now I'm blind and my immediate surrounding. Yeah. You know, so the, um, so I did start putting some of that. Uh, I, I do. I love some, all the, what Andrew Huberman is doing. I mean, he's, yeah. he's got, you some guys have the same kind of mind that, that scientific analytical go down uh, rabbit hole mind. And it's, I think that, I think that's why it resonates, but I, I have yeah. started putting some of that in there. And then the other thing that I thought was fascinating and, and I don't know, again, 
unfortunately, I'm confounding variables here. I was the type of person that, so again, Peter Atia had talked about, you know, he had a, a podcast talking about uh, intermittent fasting or time delayed feet, you know, time yeah, uh, strain feeding. And so <clears throat> I noticed that when I was elk hunting, I didn't, I never really liked to have a big breakfast in the morning. I might grab like a, a granola bar or something like that, just to, or a, a cup of yogurt, but I'll just yeah. head out. I'll head out and, you know, go and, and I'll hike. And then maybe I'll snack or grab some lunch in, you know, midday and then I'll just eat at night. Yeah. Now, granted, I was not, you know, and I know that over time, I'm not consuming enough calories to be doing yeah. what I need to be doing on the mountain, but yeah, yeah. I always did Different well. Also, you can't carry that much food into the woods. <laughs> yeah. And, and I knew that I always did well with even an unconscious kind of time restricted feeding or, a, 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 a you know, so I saw, I, I listened to a couple of podcasts. I'm like, you know what I do? I do work better off of a high protein diet. That's just how yeah. I've always been. But I was like, all right, I'll do that. And so I was, you know, I wouldn't eat anything until like 4 PM yeah. and I wouldn't eat anything after like 8 PM. Yeah. I'd probably be going to bed at midnight, but Four, uh, feeding windows small. Yeah. Very, and, and, Seriously. and man, you probably dropped a lot of weight, sleeping better, the whole thing. Oh, right? it's great. I, I did. I, I got right down to, I mean, not as, as what I used to be, but I mean, I downright okay. close. I dropped 20 pounds in a month and I, you know, my yeah. wife is like, what the freaking hell is, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It just works. Right. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I'm finding now I'm starving in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm freaking, it's like, there's no way. I'm not eating until, you know, that yeah. where I don't know if that's because I think different times of the year, I, I but my diet, what about the alcohol sugar? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of sugar in alcohol. A hundred percent metabolizes sugar in your body. So if, if, if I, yeah. and, 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 and I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't know, but you yeah. tell me it, it's, sugar, if I'm drinking that much alcohol in the evening, yes. I, my body is just loaded sugar. with sugar, sugar, to where maybe my body didn't need to eat, you know, but now that the it's, it's not part of it. Maybe my body's like, what the freaking hell are we doing? We need it something. Could be, it could be the time of year too. You know, like in, in the, in the winter time, you know, I crave, I, I eat the foods that I crave, the healthy foods that I crave. So in the winter time, I don't crave salads in the winter. So I don't eat salads in the winter. Right. I eat oatmeal and eggs and bacon in the morning. And, um, and I don't really eat a big lunch. Um, I'll, you know, just whatever snack for lunches. And then I'll have a good protein-based dinner um, with some sort of cooked leafy greens and either rice or sweet potato or something like that. Um, but I, I, I. Well, my I just, change has been. I think, I think for millions of years, we ate what was available to us during that time of year. And in the, in the wintertime, it was back then it was dried meats and, you know, whatever we could kill. And, um, but no one was going up and digging up, you know, or picking fresh vegetables or plants. Yeah. No. When things were frozen, right. They just weren't available. So I think that people should probably eat more of what's available during the time of year and the hemisphere that they live than just eating, you know, a strict diet 12 months out of the year. Yeah. No, that, I mean, I agree. That absolutely makes sense to me, but my, I was saying this change for me, it, it seems to have happened 
at the same time that I cut off. Maybe it's just because I'm not drinking caffeine. Cause literally I'd wake up in the morning. You're also routine. too short of a window to really figure out what's going on. That, that absolutely. That's 100%. Because it's, because it's 30 days. You know what I mean? So you've been drinking alcohol at night for the last 20. And then all of a sudden you've taken 30 days to not do that. Your body's like, or, what the fuck is going on? Right. Yeah, 14, <laughs> two weeks now. It's been two, yeah, weeks. two weeks. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so I yeah. mean, you, you need, you need that's a, a fair point. Longer, a longer sample to figure out exactly what's going on. That's a fair point. Cause the other flip side was like, cause, cause my schedule was I got up. So Kelly works crackle in the morning. She's her job is, you know, 10 to 14 hour days. And so mm-hmm. I take care of all the, a lot of the day-to-day operate, you know, what's going on in the household. So we've got horses. They're about a five, they're about a seven minute walk from the house to, to go. So I would wake up in the morning, get dressed, get the dog's collars, get them all set, grab, grab a caffeine drink and walk out of the house. And that's what, that was the first thing that I would consume. Yeah. And so the other flip side is, is maybe, maybe this issue is, is now that I'm not consuming. You should try pounding um, like 12 to 20 ounces of water first thing in the morning. That's what I'm doing. Exactly. Don't drink electrolytes, just pound 24 ounces of water. The first thing when you wake up and the first, the first couple of weeks, you'll have to piss a lot more throughout the day than you normally would, but because you wake up super dehydrated. So if the first thing you do is hydrate your body, when you, you know, your body can only consume a liter of water per hour. So the rest of it's going to just piss out. So you need to start drinking. I'm pissing out a lot of water. <laughs> right, you're gonna you're gonna piss out way more than you actually take into your body. Yeah. Well, so talk to me about what's this? What's this? What's the insulin response then? What? How did? What, so, what ends up with that? So, so insulin is very detrimental to your body. So whether you eat sugar or you eat like if you pound a diet coke and it doesn't have any sugar in it, it's diet coke, right? Your body doesn't know any difference. It can't tell the difference between sugar and fake sugar. It still spikes. Now, maybe it's, it's less to a lesser degree, but it still spikes that insulin response. And if you don't have the, you know, there's counters in your body, chemicals, whatever hormones to, uh, to counteract that insulin. If you don't have that in your body, it's just bad. And when that happens too long, that's how you become, and then you gain all this extra weight. That's how you become type two diabetic where your body can no longer regulate its own insulin response well i i that's and that's that's all behavior driven that's all behavior driven type 2 diabetes is 100 percent curable with exercise healthy eating yeah because the type 1 is the one that's that's a legit genetic yeah that's genetic you don't have any you're born with that no i i like i said for me it was one of those things where i could from just a health standpoint, I, I wanted to try to, I'm like, all right, I've, so I've got to- all carbohydrates break down the sugar into your body. Well, and, the, and yeah. All that, carbohydrates, whether they're plant-based or whatever, they still, if you eat an apple, you're still going to get an insulin spike. Now it's, listen, it's got fiber in it, so it metabolizes different into your sure. body, but- But, well, the, 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 right. the earth-crushing uh, fact that I, and again, it was, I think it was Peter Atia or somebody else who was talking about it, it was- uh, fruit juice. Oh, man, dude. man. Dude, I, I am. You drink a glass of juice. It's like eating 60 oranges. <laughs> dude. I, I am an orange juice loving fiend, especially like a pineapple orange juice, man. I would just pound that. Oh, dude. You're like that. Sugar, sugar is the number one 
killer i believe in this country i really Dude. do i think it kills more people than anything else i like, finally i finally heart disease and yeah i you know high blood pressure and insulin issues like sugar is the devil dude i finally looked at the late i finally looked at the back end of an orange juice bottle oh my god yeah compared right. it with a soda because i couldn't believe when they were talking about it yeah, i couldn't yeah, believe it i'm yeah, like yeah. i'd be better off drinking the soda yeah i was like holy <laughs> shit if you figure out how many, uh, so if you look at how many grams of sugar are in some certain thing, right? And then you actually take a scale and you measure out how much sugar that is, you're like, oh yes. my God. Yes. And you look at like one of those build big gulps or whatever it is yeah. that people drink in the cities, right? Yeah. And they're like 70 grams of sugar or something in one of those big gulps. And then you measure out 70 grams and it's like this much. And you're like, how does that even dissolve? What is going on, dude? How do you, why do you think there's a metabolic like pandemic going on in this country? Right well, now? And, and that, and for we, let's just route it back to the alcohol. So Kelly and I, we, we vacationed, this is several years back. We went down to uh, British Virgin islands. We went oh, down dude. to grand Cayman's. Well, what do they have down there? The painkillers, right? Yeah. So you've got really good rum mixed yeah. with fruit juices and coconut juice. Well, those things are freaking addict. I mean, like, like you just, they just suck them down. So we get back home and I'm like, we can make this shit. I can go and I can buy, I can buy the big bottle of rum. I've got the orange juice well, and the pineapple the juice and the coconut <laughs> oh my gosh, man. When we got back, I don't remember. And this is what just crushed me when I realized how bad, again, fruit juice does have a little bit of fiber. Eh. But when I realized how much orange juice and pineapple juice we were consuming along with the alcohol. The fiber, the fiber and juice is negated in about correct, three hours after it's squeezed. I was like, I'm like, holy hell, man. No wonder I'm gaining weight because I'm just, every night I'm just, might as well just give me just, table just just feed me sugar yeah. oh it's brutal yeah, Rogan talked about that about how they the sugar industry paid off those scientists to say that fat was the cause leading cause of heart disease and it was actually sugar and on their deathbed they wrote an affidavit and said we lied that's crazy that's, and, that's I, what, and that was like one of the founding principles for the for the uh food, the pro food, pyramid. food pyramid yeah the food pyramid right which is like if you the acronym for the standard american diet is sad bro well, it's, it's a hundred. I mean, it's flipping upside I mean, down. It's flipping upside down, dude. It's, it's like crazy. The, the smallest amount of grains. That's all like, right. But so that's what, so let, I don't want to spend all this. Time. Anyway, the, for, because there, there's more I want to talk to you about. Um, bottom line though, for anybody listening to this again, I mean, you deal with some, some, how do I want to put this? You know, the, it and I, for those people that do not see themselves as being an addict, mm -hmm. listening to people talk about addicts, mm -hmm. one of the things that you everybody says is, oh, you know, the first the first step is admitting that you have a problem, mm -hmm. and everybody's like, oh, yeah, and, and every it's it's kind of turned into a cliche. Yeah, that's that, that's not necessarily true. Understanding what the problem is is the first step. Well, there you go. Okay. Because you, can, you can say you have a problem. I said I was an alcoholic most of my life. I'm like, oh, I'm an alcoholic. Didn't care. Look, look, look. There you right? go. Because I didn't really understand what the problem was. Well, and I just, somebody said the other day that, you know, the, uh, true personal growth comes when you're sick of your own shit. Yeah. 
And so I think, I think that's where that realization was for me. It was, I was like, all right, it doesn't matter that I am not getting drunk every night. I know that this is too much. I mean, just from a quantity stance, this is from a health standpoint, this is too much. And I damn well know it. And I need to just own it. You know what I mean? I just need to own it. And then the same thing with the caffeine. Everybody joked, oh, that stuff's terrible for you, terrible. I'm like, I'm fine. I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. it's like, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, why do I have this just clenching pain in my chest? Okay. <laughs> so if I've already done the pulmonologist, I've already done the cardio test, and those come out back to fine. Well, it's got to be something else. Yeah, so yeah, it's like, all right. Okay. Enough excuses. Inside of you, right? Yeah. It's like, it's <laughs> like okay. Um, <clears throat> Maybe now, maybe now we, we kind of, so yes, if, if anybody's listening to this and again, the number of my friends that I, I started talking to again, the, the one I was just, just off the phone, he stopped drinking last fall for the exact same reason. He was like, I, I know that it just can't be right. And so I'm just going to try it. And he yeah. did the same thing. He did the sober October and he was like, Okay. So I kind of like feel a lot better. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. so he decided he's like, all right, well, I'm just not going to. And, and okay. And here's a question for you. And, and maybe there is no, no, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but I'm just going to ask your opinion. What he just said, he's like, what he's wrestling with right now is can he go back? Mm. Can't, can't, you know, he's feeling good now. Mm-hmm. But he's like, you know, like a lot of us are like, man, I really do enjoy a cold beer on a warm day. I yeah. really do enjoy sitting down with my wife at dinner, or whatever, having a glass of wine. The question is, is now that I'm, I'm here and I knew the trajectory that I was going on before. Was not what can, I wanted. Can yeah. I can I just say I'm going to reinsert into the matrix, so to speak, but I'm only going to. I'll only have one. Sure. I think you should try it out. I guess that's where you test yourself. I I think, I think, I think people need to have self-awareness, right? So, you know, um, I don't think anyone's ever going to convince anyone that they have a problem. Frankly, it's a gross waste of time and energy. I don't ever, ever. I've been doing this 20 years. I don't ever try to convince anyone that they have a problem. It's nonsense because it's just not going to happen. Right. So you need to ask yourself, what is my relationship to alcohol? What does alcohol provide for me? Or, or caffeine or Or caffeine or or food, right? People people self-soothe with food, right? There's, there's people who are addicted to food, either eating food or not eating food. People restrict people binge. They, people do the same thing with alcohol. Um, I you find myself, I find myself right now wanting to go grab the chips and grab, right, I'm like, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You get that oral fixation. Yep. You got all that, right. You need pleasure, right. Rogan's always talking about that five seconds of mouth pleasure. Right. Yep. Um, you, that's what you gotta, you gotta ask yourself. What do I want out of life? What, what kind of life do I want to have? Yeah. Right? Do I want to be slave to caffeine and alcohol and food or do I want to have some sort of control? Now, listen, when we get into like the nuances of recovery and in the solutions, right? Um, it really becomes about 
more about personal growth in, in it's a broad term, but self, right? How self manifests in our life, whether it's fear or self-seeking or self-esteem or selfishness or all the various manifestations of self and how they manifest in our life. Um, you know, if, I, you, I, if you think you have a, a problem with alcohol or alcohol is causing some sort of distress in your life, start, like normal people can take it or leave it alone. If my mother-in-law who is, you know, 70 years old, right? If she had a problem with alcohol, she would just, she would just stop. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't be any problem in her life. She would just be like, huh, I'm just going to cut that out of my life and then go about her life. There would be no, like, if you're like, if you stop drinking and you're obsessing about drinking and you're thinking about drinking or when you're going to have your next drink, yeah, you might have a problem. Yeah. Or, right. or, and, and that's again, like me, I, it was uh, one of those alcohol with anything, right? If you, yeah. if you stop anything in your life and you're fully obsessed about that thing, you may have a problem with that. Right. So the only way is like self experiment you got to experiment, but you have to have real self-awareness. You can't be, you know, in denial, as they say, denial aisle, right? Yeah. You, you can't like be dishonest with yourself. You, you have to be really upfront. Like, what do I want out of life? What kind of life do I want to lead? And then give it a shot. Have well, the, one beer. Yeah. And the one thing that I, that I definitely, so I've always, I've always felt, I mean, even as a kid, I've always known that, you know, that Jordan Peterson talks about it one way and, and everybody has that, that little voice in the back of your head. Sure. It's never wrong. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. never wrong for, I don't know what it is, whether you're a spiritual person or you're not or whatever. It's just that there's that little still small voice in the back of your mind that says, Hey, so, as, so that little voice, Chris, it, it, the best time to listen to that little voice is five minutes after you wake up from drinking. <laughs> it's probably very loud so, so so listen all interventions so when you're going to intervene on someone that has a problem and your family gets around you everyone's seen the intervention show 911, yeah. right my buddy ken seeley they all happen at five minutes after they wake up 95 percent of them because that's when the, they're at their most vulnerable state that's when they're apt to be most in contact with the pain and suffering caused by their last action. night's binge yeah. Right. So that's when you listen. You don't listen to that voice inside your head when you're six drinks in. Yeah. Well, and because or, that voice or, in your head or, when you're six drinks in is going to be like, or hey, yeah, it's all good. Hey, whatever. Right. And, and the, and the, and the real, see, this is okay. I, I, a, that resonates because the other flip side is also what Andrew Huberman was talking about is what happens once you wake up in the morning, your dream cycle yeah. You know, expect all those synapses. And when you wake up in the morning, that's, that is literally the time when you can literally tie everything together. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense of what you're saying. For me, the issue was, is before you grab that monster, before mm -hmm. I grab that glass of wine at night, the little voice saying, do you really need it? Yeah. Are you truly like for me with the monster, it became a habit. There's always a fight there. Do you, do There's I really need caffeine right now? Around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. do I really need the caffeine? No, yeah. I really like the taste of this particular drink. They, they make a, uh, 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 strawberry lemonade that monster. Man. Holy hell, man. Just shoot, <laughs> just shoot me in the head. That stuff 
that stuff is incredible. And so that was, it wasn't, the, it wasn't even so much supposed you know, quote unquote, the caffeine. It was like, that was my drink in the morning. I grabbed that because it was like, oh, what a way to wake up. And I guarantee you, that's how a lot of people are with coffee. It's like, oh, yeah. uh, it's not that I want that caffeine in the morning, yeah. per se. It's like, oh my gosh, I love that. I just love the smell of the flavor. I just want you know, that. Side, sitting on the side of the mountain two hours before the sun comes up, you know, with your little jet boil heating up your yep. water and pouring yeah. it over to pour over and making those nice little. The question, the question comes that little that. voice in the, yeah, the little voice in your head, because though at some point starts going, do you really need that right now? Mm -hmm. Is that what you really need? And if you yeah. start to rat, if you have to take a moment and rationalize, you're wrong. Yeah, you're you're wrong because it's it's in the back of your mind for a reason, and and this is even tangential to anything else we're talking. I mean, well, there's you're gonna, like, you're gonna ask yourself how many times do you have that conversation with yourself right before you have the drink or right before you eat drink caffeine or right before you have the piece of cake? Yeah, yep. How many times do you lose? How many times do you say to yourself, "I don't want this. I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't have this." Uh, and, then how, and then how many times do you find yourself sitting there with a piece of cake or sitting there with a drink in your hand? Like, right? like me, see, one of my, my bad vices is Pringles, potato chips, the sure. salt and vinegar ones. Yeah. You know, so you, get, you get the can that's like this. Well, I, I always wondered why they made them in cans that are single serve. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'll just, whoa, I'll go right through that whole can. Yeah, sure, just, right. But you sit there and you're, you're like, I need some potato chips. In the back of your mind, you're like, you know damn well you don't. You don't need potatoes. <laughs> you know, you damn well you don't. There's only like, a few things you really need in life, yeah, Chris. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. But I'm going to grab them anyway. And then after My that, daughter will say that. She's like, I need this. And I'll literally say to her, Chris, I'll say, do you need it, Eve? Her name is Eve. And I say, do you need it or do you want it? And she says, I want it. Okay. All right. Just so you know. Just, just be clear. But yeah. And I think you that's need water, you need shelter, you need clothes, you need heat, you need you, those yeah. are the things you need. Those are the things you need. You don't need yeah. a lollipop. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, there's a, I, I have to believe it just in, and you've seen it within my circle of friends. I've seen it. I think there's a lot of people that are, that are wrestling with us right now. And yeah, no, regardless, yeah. regardless of whether you're a high functioning alcoholic or whether you are just an absolute addict, you know, addicted to caffeine or whatever, whatever it is that for me, in, it's, I think it's, it's, one it's of the a long-term health thing. It's one of the contributing factors to the decline in hunters. I also believe that, that may be, I do. I do. I mean, if you think about the way crystal meth and heroin and all these hard drugs and alcohol and have just kind of ripped through our communities. Um, and then you see the decline in hunting over the last 20 or 30 years or whatever it is. And listen, I don't know all the stats on hunters and all that other nonsense, but I do know that over the last 20 years, there's been a, a very steep incline in use and abuse of drugs and alcohol in this country. I mean, in, in, in 1995, 12,000 people, I think that, I think that was the year 12,000 people OD'd. Uh, in this country. And in 2020, 2020, 102,000 people OD'd in this country. Jeez, oh, Pete. Yeah. So you take the five or six surrounding towns that I live in here in Connecticut, and you add them all up. That's like everybody in that, in our whole half of our county 
gone in one year. Yeah. Well, okay. So then let me ask you this then. You've got, I've got to believe that you've got probably a couple different tiers types of, of people. Um, let's, let's, let's wrap up this part of the discussion and segue to the other one that I wanted. There's going to be people like me that, you know, darn well that it's you're, you're on a, you're on a path. that's probably not long-term healthy. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. That's fair. And do you have this, the, the self-discipline and the self-awareness to, to be able to, to say, okay, I'm going to consciously make the decision that I'm going to change this behavior. And I'm not just like for me, I was just going to, and, the, and I joked about the fact that I chose February because it's the shortest month. <laughs> I was just, I was just going to do it for the month of February. I'm well, just maybe like, you'll be like your buddy and you'll extend it into, uh, for, you know, coming months. Well, that's the thing is we'll see the, but, but I'm, I will say that this is probably eat and I hate to work out. But I will, I, I can honestly say that probably this has been the most difficult choice behavior change mm. I've ever probably had to do. Yeah. Just constantly, well, well, also, consciously saying, when, you're doing it, when you do it, if you and your buddy were doing it together and you guys were talking regularly, yeah, yeah. It, would, it might be a lot easier because you got support, you got support rather than wrestling with this guy that's in the back You're of your head trapped in your brain all day, yeah. dude. And, you, yeah. and I can, and I, listen, I, I don't know you personally, Chris, but I can guarantee you that fucking noise in your mind never stops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's so again, especially around this issue, right? Yeah, it's, and, it's and every that's, day. It's in your mind and it's going, it's, you'll be doing something and you'll be like, Oh shit. I would normally have a beer right now. It would just, it hits you like a ton of bricks, right? It's like all of a sudden, boom. Yep. I, oh, the other day I'm, I'm cleaning out the garage and stuff. I'm like, oh, I ought to grab a beer. I'm like, I don't have any beer. There's that. There's the, a, there's nothing in the, there's nothing in the fridge, but more important. I was like, no, I'm like, man, it's just a, it's just a reflex. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so at least, at least it, for me, I was like, all right, I'm going to make the conscious decision just to, just to try it, just to a, to prove to myself that I can number mm -hmm. one, sure. number two, just to see what, comes out the other end how do i feel af as i come out the other end sure and I've, I've i mean in the in the first two weeks i've already learned that really alcohol is not my issue caffeine is my issue caffeine and, yeah. and, and so it's like okay so that's that's good to know i would have thought it would have been the other way around sure but i wouldn't have known that if i hadn't tried it so yeah. you know people and, and again the Rogans, the, the, all the other celebrities that are like, oh, we're going to do sober such and such. It seems like this, this, you know, ice bucket challenge yeah, yeah. or, you know, it's, yeah, it's like yeah, some yeah. new, it's like a ooh -ah challenge or some yeah. fun thing. No, I think it goes beyond that. I think it's, I think, it does, I, yeah. I think it really ought to be one of those things where it becomes a periodic thing that you do in your life to say, can I, can I actually control what my impulses are? Do I have control over, over what I do and consume? Over your life. Yeah. Do you have control? Right. Are I you mean, just a robot? A robot? Are you just running through life? You know. And so Andrew Human, he was just talking about just even, well, because he started going down the, the talking about dopamine and, and what, and, and that, yeah. that reward, even, yeah. even just scrolling on social oh, media yeah. and the, and the dopamine fix that, that, <clears throat> so that's the other one that I have been trying to. I don't know if there's an end of things that we can become addicted to. Oh my gosh. I think it's, it's limitless. It's well, limitless. and especially when you have creators of 
things like the iPhone, like yeah. Facebook, they sit uh, around Google, trying to figure out new and inventive ways to, you know, unique trap ways you. To, get you, to get you addicted. Trap you. That's exactly it. How to trap you. It's part of their business model. And 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 yeah. that's what I loved about Andrew talking about that. He's like, you know, you start, you you fall prey to the business model of the dopamine hit of social media. Sure. It's very, it's not difficult to fall into the dopamine hit of comfort food, dopamine hit yeah. of caffeine, dopamine hit yeah. of alcohol, or what whatever it is, it becomes more. And I, in the, to your point, what they, we were talking they, about they've earlier, linked, they've linked uh, brain responses to sugar and heroin. Yes. So to your <laughs> right. point, you, to your point, you know, the effects of what social media aside, the effects of what we are, how we are, how we are, how do I want to put it? Self-selected behavior. Mm-hmm what the long-term ramifications of that are going to be 10 years from now is going to be incredible because again, this is one of the things. So I did a video and uh, it's on YouTube uh, understanding ideology. And, and this will be a conversation for you and I at a later date. Cause I really do. I, I enjoy uh, just talking with you um, beyond just this podcast, our, our, our previous discussion um, under, understanding ideology, how people think, the value sets, how, you know, how it all plays out. And, and I created a conceptual model, conceptual model, so people can understand different people better. And that's what I want to segue into next. But um, I, I talked about, and that was a part one, because I, I wanted, I wanted to do a part two on how we're being hardwired these days and our, how that hardwiring is affecting our personalities, how it's affecting our, our behavior, and as it manifests on the landscape, and, and how we interact with one another. And, and one of the things was, you know, you think back when we were growing up, okay, so, you, I mean, we're, all, we're pretty much the same age. So when we were growing up, you had your, gr- your group of friends, yeah, right. Now they might have been good friends to have, or they might have been bad influence to have. But regardless, regardless, you yeah. you developed you your get, personality. You get on your bike and go over to their house and see if they were home. Correct. You knock on the door and be like, "Hi, Ms. Oliveira, is Sean home?" Correct. Right? And and you and in that group, you yeah. may or may there was there was the one that was the 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 comedian. There was yeah. the one that may be the the tough guy. There yeah. was the the one kid that was just there to be happy, and he was just following along. And yeah. that you know everybody. But the thing is, but the thing is, is it was a heterogeneous group. Everybody was different and everybody had to figure out how to play with one another, communicate with one another and and appreciate the values of one another. Yes. You know, not to be uh, cliche about it, but if you look at the TV show Friends, Hmm. the reason why I think that was so wildly popular and you could literally go back and watch reruns of Friends today is because. You had such wildly different personalities. You identified with this personality type. Yeah. True. But look at the look at the, the character Joey. Yeah. Dumb as a box of rocks. Yeah, right. But a great guy and a very yeah. generous guy. Yeah. Versus uh what, what was it? Uh, Ross Geller, that you know, the the, the paleontologist, that extremely high thinking person, but yeah. just kind of goofy. Yeah. Here's the here's the point that I want to make with that, and why I think what your career field why it's probably exploding because 
back in the day, we had to, we learned to value wildly different people because those were the people that we interacted with. And these are the people that were, that are going to be my core friends. And I've spent time with you. I've, I've, I, I got in a bike wreck and skinned my yeah. knee and, yeah. and I, and we, we got in an argument and we wrestled and we got in a fight. And even though you're a dumbass and even you're a stupid jock, I, we, we are still friends because we have that commonality now with social media and, and the younger generations, they can cherry pick yeah. their friends globally. They don't have to choose a Joey. They don't have to choose someone I don't, I don't want to under, I don't want to listen to you. I don't. So we, we have this artificial sense of community and, and identity to where I think it does play into some of what we're seeing where, again, I go on social media and I've cherry picked my friends and this level of dopamine is consistent and predictable and it feeds me everything I want. Yeah. But now in rest of life, I want that too. So I, I want this addiction. I want this addiction. Yeah, I want this addiction. It doesn't match. So you get this, you get this <coughs> artificial stimulation from the, from the device, <coughs> video yep. games, social media, Twitter, whatever it is, you get this artificial stimulation. And then I, and we see this with the kids, right? Specifically in, in young girls, um, you get this artificial stimulation where you get this dopamine huge dump, right? So you, you're way up here and then you go back out into the real world and it's n- you can't even c- come close to the amount of dopamine that you get from the device in the real world. So then they crash. But yeah. your level, yeah. what Andrew was saying is Anxiety, level- depression, all this stuff, right? Not to mention when we were kids, Chris, this is how it would work. We would go out, we would go to school. Maybe we'd get bullied. Maybe we'd get picked on. 2.30 rolls around, we get out of school, we get on the bus, we go home, maybe there's some guy on the bus giving a shit, whatever. We get home, it stops. Yep, yep. Three o'clock, it's yep. over. Yep. All that artificial stimulation with the kids and the bullying and the personalities and this. That's a good point. And you, and you just go right to, your, right to your core friend group and you play after school. For me, it was just out in the woods and my buddies would come over and we'd play in the farm, we'd go out in the woods and, you know, stick fights and whatever, right? Play in the yeah. mud. Now, and this is where the, the young girls come in. 24-7. It, it's from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It never stops. Yeah. It never stops. And it's infinite. And they make a post and someone from California is telling them that they look ugly on their post. Yeah. Right? So these little and, and, and self-injury, that- rates, self-injury rates from girls eight, to 14 have gone up like a thousand percent in the last eight years since the advent of social media. And the, and the biggest 12 year old girls with eating disorders and suicide in this country. And it's all because of this thing right here. Yes. And, and the thing, the point that you just said is someone from 10 States over or from another country. Yeah. In some way they're all of a sudden their opinion matters. It's like, you're, you'll never see that person in your life. What happens is when these little kids are, when these, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds, they get onto social media, they learn to communicate in this virtual world. And they don't realize that they don't make this connection that what you say online, you would never say to someone's face. Yeah. Because there's a transfer of energy there. 
there's two people. All of a sudden, the person's standing in front of you. There's a potential consequence there. There's a real life consequence, right? Online, there's no, there's no one knows who you are, really. You can say whatever you want. And now they, they're all competing to say the most woke thing or the most, you know, antagonistic thing or the most mean thing or whatever it is. Like they're all competing online to say the most outlandish yep, stuff. Yep, yep. And their little consciousness just can't handle it. Well, it's, but that's it, but really that's bad. gonna but that is going to translate into behavior. It's gonna translate into personalities and it's gonna translate into behavior as they grow older. And yeah. and let's so real quick. Let's, let's, let's do a segue here. So when we're talking about, you know, me with wine consumption or caffeine consumption, I'm starting to work out, but that's the other thing too, with, with Huberman, you know, I, I really picked up on, he's trying to do periodic daily denial of want. So like me, I'm always constantly, you know, he'd say, I want to grab a drink of water and he's constantly saying, no, yeah. I'm not, I'm going to deny myself. He's restricting his, his initial desires. Correct. So that way it's, it's keeping that dopamine in check to where it be, because that's what you're saying is once you get that spot, it spikes and crashes. Well, it never got that spike never comes back to the same point. You you start Uh building, it's like an alcohol tolerance to where you start getting a tolerance that you need more, you need more, you need more. So for let's just say, cause let's segue real quick. And let me wrap this section up because I think I used to poo-poo the idea, not poo-poo. I, I discounted the benefit of those quote unquote ideas of like sober October and all that type of stuff. I'm now seeing the value of no, regardless of what it is, whether you want to stop consuming alcohol or whether you want to just stop consuming caffeine or more importantly, I'm going to take a a, a week and I'm not going to go on social media or I'm going to do a month of not. I think today it, there's a massive value in let's check our, 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 our access and and grabbing onto those pleasure things to where, I don't know. I think a lot of people are in this, in this cycle, they know darn well that whatever behaviors again, uh, what was it? Um, Oh, how did, how did Jordan Peterson said it? um, Oh crap. I'm sorry. I just, he basically was along the, uh, along the lines of if you really want to know how to improve yourself and maybe first thing in the morning to your point and Andrew's point, um, first thing in the morning, if I wanted to better my life, just ask yourself, just out, just in your mind or out loud or whatever. If I really wanted to better my life, what's the one thing that I could do that I would do? Mm. And to his point, he goes, you'll get an answer. Yeah. Your brain right now knows yeah. exactly, you know, exactly what it is that you're doing that is keeping you from achieving whatever potential or whatever you, you know, darn well. And if you just sit there and ask you, what is the one thing that I could do to better myself that I, that I, that I could do that I, that I would do. I mean, I think if people really wanted to change, you know, 
I mean, it really becomes about their their real desires, right? Well, when you get sick of your own shit. Yeah, I mean, listen, if if you owed me a million dollars, right? I would call you. <laughs> right? I would I show up at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I would I would be engaged full time in getting my money. Yeah. Because I would have a premier desire to get my million bucks. Yeah. Because that create that is a lot of value. I've there's something I really important. That's really important to me. I'm really invested in getting my money back. If you translate that example to your health, alcohol, caffeine, sugar, social devices, media, right? Social media. It's like, where's your motivation? Yeah. And, and is, yeah. It, is, is it in the, is it in the area of receiving? I just want that five seconds of mouth pleasure. I just want that cold beer on a Saturday afternoon at the, at the cookout. Right. Is it that monster first thing in the morning? Is it that, you know, 15 minutes of dopamine by scrolling? Right. What, what is it that I really want out of life? And what yeah. am I, what am I, what are you really willing to do? Willingness is the key. It's and that for me, that was the, the big thing. I could identify all the things. I'll, that I'll talk to, I'll talk to hardcore drug addicts, heroin addicts that are literally. And so just as a, as a caveat to that, 90% of the heroin in this country, maybe higher is all laced with fentanyl. Yeah. Which is brutal. Right. Which, you know, you take a microgram of fentanyl and it shuts off your breathing and you die. Right. And they know, they all know, they all know. It's not like they're unaware that all the heroin's laced with fentanyl. Yeah, And I'll say to a drug addict, what do you really want? Do you want to die? Because you know, sticking that spike in your arm, you're, it's Russian roulette, dude. It's and, but, but the reality, right? and so the, 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 what you don't know is I have a, close family member whose significant other just OD'd yeah. on fentanyl laced heroin. And so every single week, Chris, yeah. every single week for the last now, five years. Now for me, I, I get the phone call every and, week. And the thing is, is that's the thing is he's that individual was in and out of rehab multiple times. Yeah. Uh, it was causing problems with the family. And, and that's the problem. And I think it tie it, whether you're a hardcore heroin user or whether you're just a hardcore caffeine drinker or alcohol, whatever it is, the solution you the know same. darn well what the solution, the solution is exactly the same. Yeah, it, you know what you know what you need to do is just whether or not you can you you finally get to the point where you say I'm just it means something. You know what I mean? There there's you know we cut we joke about the come to Jesus moment. You know in in recovery sense, I know there's a lot of people that that do find relief in spirituality. They, they, whether they become born again or whatever, you know, a spiritual, a spirit there, there's some fundamental shift when you, especially when you're really bad, fundamental shift psychologically on a value set. Sure. Um, but if, and I guess this is a good segue into what I wanted to talk about next is, so when you were talking about with your practice, and again, so let, let's table this for a minute and then shift. Cause the reason Part of the reason why I want to talk to you is it does tie into th this behavior, what we're talking about and, and communicating uh, you as, as a counselor, as someone I'm, I'm, who's, I'm, I'm not a therapist, just so you know, not, not from a, a psychology or yeah, yeah, that yeah, type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do coaching and placements and I okay. run the business part, but 
and was it your wife that does the motivational? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My wife's a clinician. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So what we were talking about before uh, on our previous conversation resonated with me with regard to what's going on. What I just talked about with some of the sportsman issues is you're communicating. You've got two, you've got a person that has a value set Mm -hmm. and a belief structure. Sure. And however they justify that belief structure and value set. Now in, in the cases we were just talking about with you, you, you've got a person that's on a, on a, on a, on a, a self-destructive path Yeah. that if you could get them to change, they would be on a more constructive path mm-hmm. or, or a, or, or life-saving path sure. versus on the sportsman issue. When we're talking about <clears throat> animal activists or we're talking about non-hunters or whatever, okay. They're not on a self-destructive path. But they do have a different value set. They do have a completely different belief structure. Sure. So when we're talking, if we're going to communicate with someone that has a massively different, a wildly different belief structure and and value set. What we had mentioned, what we had, and this is why I want to talk to you, is you can never reason a man out of something you're never reasoning to. You can never reason a person out of something they were, they never used reason to sure. get themselves into. And mm-hmm. to the point we, we were talking when we first started out is again, in that Peterson uh, Harris discussion, if a person does not value logic and reason, no amount of logic and reason is no. going to convince them that yeah. they need to listen to logic and reason. So then when last time we were talking, you brought up, you, you had mentioned that motivational interviewing yeah. and I kind of looked into it. And it was pretty fascinating. It, it does seem to me it, and you correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that it almost seems like that's what a clinical psychologist would, sure. would be employing. Yeah. But I think the principles are still there as well. Yeah. So the, the, yes, it is. A, it's a clinical modality for sure. Um, it's a way in which to communicate with someone who is very stuck in their ideas or ideology or whatever it is around how they live their life. And if that is, for instance, very detrimental to their life or their quality of life, it's a way in which to explain life or a, a, an alternative view to them in a way that doesn't um, supersede or conflict with their views. Yeah, oh, and alienate them. Uh, right. and, and push then them the, away, right? You don't want to push them away. Confrontation just doesn't work when you're trying to help someone see the bigger picture. Right? Yeah, and, and so, so, so laying out the whole picture instead of just because they're stuck in this little narrow view of their life and they can't see all this other stuff that's actually really going on. So it's a way to kind of lay that whole picture out so that they can see the broad spectrum of their behaviors, actions, ideas. Yeah, but but in that... So, okay. I, I, yes. What you're just talking about is, is you're, you're kind of here. They are now here's, mm-hmm. here's where they are in their belief structure, but here's where the long-term, this is where, how it manifests itself. Yeah. In that so a direct parallel can be talked about with sportsmen and anti-hunters. And you're like, okay, well, here's where your belief reality is, mm-hmm. but here's how that, if we did what you wanted to do, here's how this all plays out. Yeah. That's fine. So, so but what you're not doing. You just want to hate PETA. 
Yes. Oh. Bullshit, they just they just want to like yep. animal we activists are the devil. Yep. We don't like them. They're yep. idiots. They're crazy. They're you know they're just going to ruin hunting. Yeah. Well, you know what? You're probably right. Yeah, but you telling them that. Right. Isn't going to change the, 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 that's going to validate their actions. Correct. That's it. So Jordan Peterson talks about this is if you go and you attack someone's fundamental basis for, for, for their belief structure. And and they go, ah, I gotcha. Yeah. "Ah, See, I told you I was right. Yeah. They will will absolutely. It, yeah, it becomes the, the, that the mountain lion grip and grin, right? Where you got this giant cat up onto your chest and you're smiling, his tongue's hanging out and his tail's on the ground and he's nine feet long. And you're like, yeah, which listen, I'm a hunter. I, I get it. But that's not, that's not going to speak to. <laughs> if no. we really want to address the fundamental problem of PETA and whatever, we'll just call them animal activists, right? You have to, we have to first understand where they're coming from Bingo. and why. Because that's if the thing. Because if we don't do that, they're, all they're going to do is they're just going to keep pointing the finger back at us and saying, look, what, uh, see, they, look at what they're doing. See, they, see, I was right. These people are evil. These people don't care about animals. And they don't, I mean, there's so much evidence that yeah. we care more about animals than they do. It's not even funny, but we're not ever going to get to show any of that information if we keep going in the direction that we're going. Yeah, I 100% see, but, agree with that. Like I said, with with there's a fundamental psychological and, and it's funny peterson goes into it and talks about it in a clinical standpoint and, and how the actual brain you know do, how from a personality stand how, how it happens but yeah they will not only will they bristle against you mm. they will absolutely double down yeah and try and they, they will do it you talk it's like pushing a, a rabid animal into a corner they're yeah. gonna come out of that sucker and it's yeah. gonna be all teeth and claws because it's not that you it's not that you're disagreeing. Yeah, it's not that you're disagreeing with this one item. Right. This is something that is the core of their being. Right. And this is what this is a part of the foundation of the fabric of their entire structure of life, yeah. their past, their present, and their future. Think, and if you're gonna go think, in there and just the try to I think the sportsmen think that we're saying that they can't do the grip and grin with the mountain lion. Well, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying that. Hold on, hold on. We'll take it step by step. Let's take it step by step because that because that's part of what will make a bristle. But but the the issue is is when we go at them and say you're full of shit and you're wrong and you're doing this and you're blah blah blah. All your what you're what especially the the more vicious you get and and the more attacking about you don't care about wildlife, you don't care, and this, that, you're talking about, you're not talking about going at their one argument about, you know, anti-mountain lion hunting or bear hunting or whatever. What you're talking about is you're attacking the core fundamental principles of who, what makes that person them, their entire past, their current present, and their future. So you're talking about tearing down their entire psychological system. You think you're, okay, flip it around. Mm. Why do you think sportsmen so vehemently oppose animal activist accusations? Yeah, because, because they, it fundamentally tears down our entire down. structure yeah. of being. Right. Everything that we've held dear, everything that we do hold dear now, and everything that we want to hold dear in the future. 
So of course we're going to bristle. It's just too. That's all it is. When again, I love there's been there's so much. We we always think, and especially the postmodern progressive left these days, it's always this enlightenment where we're we're smarter now than we ever had been before. Rainbows and butterflies. You're full of shit. There's so much wisdom from the past, and one of the the quotes that I love is, "When faced with a decision of changing one's mind." Yeah. Or proving that there's no reason to do so, mm. almost everyone gets busy on the proof. Yeah, I mean, you think about that. I mean, I, I'm gonna say it again. When 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 you're when you're faced with the choice of changing your mind or proving that there's no reason to do so, yeah. almost every one of us gets busy on the proof. Yeah, and that's the problem. And, and did you, and maybe I asked you this before, did you listen to the, uh, uh, meat eater podcast with, uh, not me, sorry, 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 sorry. The, the blood origins podcast with, uh, Matt Ranella. I did not. Okay. So Matt Ranella just absolutely took a turd grenade and just launched it into the <laughs> middle of, you know, it just, it just blew the things up. Cause he was saying a lot of things that, you know, quite honestly, he had now they say he was, it doesn't matter. As he went on in that that discussion, he got more and more outlandish and more, and it, it, he started losing more people. But in the beginning, when he was bringing up concerns, he actually had a lot of valid concerns. If you listened to what the underlying state, what he was saying, most people just listened to react. Sure. And so, I, I you know, I can sit there and say no, that no, if we're going to have a dialogue with somebody. And we want to have an actual dialogue. And especially if we would like to maybe possibly move the the needle and change their behavior. You can't, number one, offend and accuse and all that. Number you're you're done. And number two, you cannot use facts and logic and all this type of stuff because if they don't have a value for it, they're going to ignore it. So Mm -hmm. this enter you and your wife. Mm-hmm. you're dealing with people that, okay, yes, you, it, you would like to see them change their behavior. It's the same dynamic. Yeah. But okay. So let's go through some just yeah. real brief. Talk to me about how you communicate with those people. You know, yeah. I, no, that's a, I think that's a great question. Um, again, it's very, it's very different for everybody, right? Some people are at different levels of their, um, delusion if you will right um i think people who are again really dug in to what they believe um they're so consumed with themselves and their ideas and their way of living that they literally can't see outside that box right and and we we also deal with multiple different layers right so there'll be substance use there'll be trauma there'll be mental illness there'll be you know, the family system with, you know, how their relationship with their parents and their siblings and their, their whole, whole life. So we got so many different layers to the structure that it can be really challenging, if you will, to, to dig into each individual and figure out what the motivating factors are in their self-destructive behavior. Hey, stop, stop. Yeah. What you just said right there, figuring out what their motivating factors are. Yeah huge yeah that, i mean that's i mean if you you're don't, not if you're you not listening out, it doesn't right. it doesn't matter what they're saying to you 
No. What matters is what's their underlying motivation? What What is yeah. the basis here? Yeah. And what actually moves them? Yeah. So, so when you're able to figure that out, um, you know, for some people, it's their relationship with their family, right? For some people, it's, you know, they're sick and tired of being under the thumb of their family, right? Some people, it's, um, they just really like to use. They just really enjoy it, right? They, they are not willing to face what's going on in their life. And they just want to shut everything off. They just use that as a switch and they just Done. They because when they can drink and when they can use, they can just shut off everything. Um, it becomes, it gets to a point where that stops working. And that's generally when we are able to intervene with people because they, they flip that switch and the, the pain and the fear and the anxiety and depression, it stops working, right? Because I always say that alcohol and drugs are not someone's problem, they're someone's solution, right? And I think that that will also kind of translate with these animal activists. They're, they're so afraid and so tied into their ideas that the solution for that is that they need to save all the animals. Yeah, well, they're in, in like, you, in like what you said with alcohol and, and substance abuse, it's, it can be some people, some of them, some see humans, outside of the ecological process of earth uh, humans are a problem we're a virus where we're a, we we yeah. humans should just go away and, and mother earth would be just fine without us other yeah. people see us as no we're part of it but now we're just more enlightened so we don't need to exact ourselves onto the yeah. ecosystem and and uh, adjust it. we need to remove ourselves and guide people around the ecosystem there's other people that say no we, we can be part of it but we need to be you know, there's like you said there's so many different types and layers and versions of the of the hardcore animal activists versus kind of what we were just talking about you have the hardcore addict that is literally at like where you said you're at a crossroads you're either going to eat the end of a shotgun or you're going to turn your life around okay that's one stat or there's a there's a group of people like me. They're like, man, I think I might be in a you know, man, I, I know I'm on a bad path. Yeah, right. But I'm still at the point where I can lit, I can step back and evaluate. I'm I'm molding. All of those scenarios are represented among the animal activists. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. animal activists and non hunters. Yep. Exactly. They're all in a different. They're all in a different space. But when yeah. you're but when you're talking with somebody. You're not, unless I'm wrong, you're mm -hmm. not going to that person and be like, all right, see, you know, statistically, you're 27 times more like this in this. No, I ask them what they want. First thing I always ask them is, what are your goals? What do you want out of life? Do you want to like go to school and get a degree and have a family and have a career and go on vacation and go to the family reunions and see your grandparents? Do you, do you want to have... What is your idea of a good life? Okay. Are your ideas, thoughts, and actions heading you in that direction? Are you getting the results that you're looking for to achieve your goals? Yes or no? It's a yes or no question. They all say no. Every single one of them for 20 years. Because their life is a giant dumpster fire, dumpster fire that they just keep throwing shit into, right? 
So I say, okay, so what your, your actions have equaled A, B, and C equal X. You think X, I, we can even circle it, is bad. So let's try C, D, and E, right? Let's try this. And if this doesn't work, then let's add E, D, you know, E, D, and that's it. We're just going to keep adding things to your plate until you get the results that you're looking for. Because the way you're going about your life isn't getting you what you really want. But you're, but the other thing too is, is when I was looking at some of that motivational interviewing uh, literature, just, just the overview and just kind of get a, yeah, getting my yeah, yeah. head wrapped around it. <clears throat> and what I hear, and maybe your wife would, I don't know if she'd agree or disagree, but I see with, with Jordan Peterson talking about this stuff. You can, you're guiding the person, but you're not telling them where to go. No. You're allowing them to explore the ideas and then choose the, not choose, but maybe you're, you're letting them flow through their process and you're just helping guide. Okay. That's, you know, you're, you're helping guide the discussion and letting them explore that and discover things on their own. So a a lot of times they don't have a lot of understanding of how different actions or behaviors are going to manifest because they've been living their life a certain way for so long. So our job is really to just expand on the different options of the actions that they can take. Well, so and- if, you do, if you do A, B, and C, this might happen. If you do, if you do the next three things, this might happen. If you do this, this might happen. We're gonna go in this direction, go in this direction, we go in this direction. Well, in my experience, when I do this, this is what happens to me. So now you, we give them a little set of examples and they take those things and they go out about their life and then they come back and we sit down and we go, okay, how did it go? All right, so you did this and this and this. Okay, and then that happened. Okay, was that what you wanted? Uh, halfway, okay, I got halfway to where I wanted to go. Okay, great. So we come back and we just, you just keep building the blocks and you just keep building the steps and you just keep building and eventually they figure it out. Well, and there's a couple things there that what you just said and did or, or, or demonstrating are principles of motivational interviewing, right. yeah. but it also is, is perfectly translates to dealing with, you know, animal activists or non-hunters, whatever. The reason why, my opinion, you correct me wrong. You, you correct me if I'm wrong. The biggest difference that I see in practice, not practices, but in, in exercises and in, 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 program there you go programs that that you are involved in number one there's a hell of a lot of listening on your part yeah listening to them their let let them not only let not only let them not only let them vent but you have to have the maturity to and and the patience to listen to what I, I hear all of this. I hear all of this crap, but yeah. I'm he- but what I'm picking up on is this yeah. down the, the core of yeah, what so is going on. And then most people when they have a conversation, right? Hold on. The other thing is with that is empathy. Sure. Oh, hundred percent. The two it, of it, those together, listening to actually hear what you're I don't care what the what the vent is you know, I want to vent at you and just go off and just scream, go for it, get it out of your system. 
But what I want, what I'm listening for is I want to know what your base, what is the underlying ish angst issue? And then I'm going to, do I have the ability? And if, if you're a good uh, coach, clinician or whatever, you have the ability to hear it, identify it, empathize with it. Yes. And then create a dialogue. So most people, when they have a conversation with someone, they spend, someone will talk, they're venting, they're doing whatever they're doing, they're telling a story that, oh, my life, and my mom said this, and my teacher said that, and this guy said this, and, you know, they're, they're stuck in this victim mentality, whatever it is. Most people, when they have a conversation with that individual, they're literally sitting there waiting. They're not really listening. Nope, they're, they're waiting for them to get done. <laughs> they're waiting for them to get done to then add their point to yep. either prove them why they're wrong or give them some profound information, right? That they don't that give a shit works. about. That, that, that never works. It never works. Listen, I've tried it six ways to Sunday with the most resistant people on the planet, right? Drug addiction, come, it, it, drug addiction comes in between the love of a mother for their child. I don't know if there's any more profound connection than that in this world, right? People give up their kids to go and smoke crack and shoot heroin, right? So it's a very, very strong thing. The most fundamental thing that you can do when working with someone is build a connection with them. Find common ground. Find a way in which to connect with them. Connection is the most important thing. Listen, I've done trainings with all my staff for decades. If you can't connect with the individual, you will never guide him. You will never be able to get him to see any different point of view. He has to one, trust you. And he, you have to be, you can't get that trust until you first make a connection. So we use this very non-clinical word, like, so we want to flip a guy. We get this guy, he's pissed, he's angry, nothing's going right. He wants to get the heck out of the program, right? Well, if he leaves, he's going to get high. Right. I mean, it's a roll of the dice, but it's always lands on snake eyes. Right. So we got to, you know, the only way to flip someone is to first connect with them. And you can't do that if you're just trying to wow him with your frothy emotional appeal. Right. Or all your facts and data. Yeah. None of that stuff matters. Generally, what I'll do is I'll share some of my experience that identifies with their experience. There's a one of the best sales book. I give it to all my staff. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence. Oh people. yeah, Carnegie. Yeah, Carnegie. Yeah, Carnegie, right? Yeah. It was written in like the 30s. Yeah. Um, right. It's it's so brilliant. The the entire book is about how to connect with people. And again, it's it's not some modern thing. It's old. And I mean, there's there's it's, so it's much old. wisdom. It is yeah. so it's it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant Um, because if you can't make that connection with someone, if you can't identify with what they're going through, if you can't see their point of view, yeah, Simon in some some way of a fashion, Simon Sinek, you've heard of Simon Sinek. Yeah. Yeah. I love his, his, yeah. Simon is why exactly. If you, if you can't understand someone's why you're done, you're done, you're done. You're swimming upstream. Yep. Yeah. It's just not going to work. So, and I think with the animal activists, like we have to, we have to understand what they're going through 
I, I think one of the big points that gets overlooked is that human beings, like people want animals to be wild and free. Well, guess what? It's 2022 and there's 330 million Americans, 340 million Americans. That's a lot of cul-de-sacs, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like there's no more wild and free, right? Like if we didn't hunt deer in, in Connecticut, there's more deer in Connecticut than there are people. Well, and that's what you're talking about. The pictures you show me of some of those suburban, I mean, how you're, you're hunting on a five acre chunk. And yeah, it's I mean, like, and, there, and there's a, a, a 150 inch whitetail and he's living on five acres in some old lady's backyard who never yeah, walked but, in their backyard. Right. So, yeah, but, but that, but for that old lady, the problem, is, well, like we could, we could deep yeah, yeah, dive into this. We're, we're, I mean, that's the right, thing but, is when you have value sets revolving around wildlife, I mean, it again it, it does it, it ranges all over the freaking spectrum yeah. but you know in our case when we're talking about activists you know I, I i joked about the fact that i think i could absolutely make the argument that animal act like hsus and PETA, no they're not our enemy we oftentimes i think we are our own worst enemy on yeah. on how we're dealing with it because the, yeah. the battleground is going to be won in that neutral middle ground, those people that, that don't have that deep seated ideology, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That, 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 that aren't, aren't just, just ingrained. We, we, we need to win on the people that are still again. In, in, yeah. yeah I, I, in my example, when we were talking about earlier with the alcohol, yeah. and, and yeah, caffeine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dumpster diving right you wouldn't you wouldn't qualify right yeah so i right now i still have i still have some semblance of ability to yeah. there's still hope for you yet I, exactly <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's thin i don't know maybe it's thin but that's between you you know those are the those are the people that we need to to, to win over but you cannot but again, they're doing it, a much better job at talking to those people than we are what's that i said HSU and PETA, they're doing a much better job at talking to those people because, than we are. And, and why is that? Because, because they're, they're going straight to- They're way more organized. They got way more money behind them. Oh, maybe not. But, I, I, don't, but, I don't know enough about the problem, but- but what, it, but what is their mechanism? They go straight to emotion. Yeah. But what, it, but, and this is what I- right And now. this is what I just talked about in the previous podcast. Yeah. What is what emotion is it? Because we I can point to emotion on the sportsman side, but what it so you have emotion on the animal active side and you have emotion on the sportsman side. What's the difference? The difference is the animal activists are playing to pity, sorrow, empathy, sadness, disgust, all these things that people feel viscerally. And it makes them want to do something. You know what I mean? It's like, I need, I feel as though I need to intervene to stop that pain, that suffering. I empathize with the plight of X, Y, Z. It's triggering an emotion that is encompassing that people want to be a part of and want to get in, in, in involved with a solution sure. versus sportsmen are involved with anger, right. frustration, frustration. And so what does that do? It just alienates. It yeah. it makes these people entrenched. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You are a piece of shit, evil piece of guy that just wants to kill shit. And it just entrenches them further into their ideology. 
So of course, HSUS is winning because they're appealing to things that are that everybody, it makes sense. And it, it, it's a completely different fundamental psychological process. And until sportsmen learn to quit with the anger and yeah. the visceral react, like you said, you, you, we hear a lot of sportsmen just hear HSUS. You hear all the, the, the propaganda and all and we're over here doing is we're waiting. Punchline. Yeah. Hunting is conservation. We're okay. you go. North, North American model of wildlife conservation. You're just, you're listening to yeah. them and yeah. you're not listening. You're just waiting for them to take a breath. So you can so get you your can, point. Right. Yeah. You can make your point. Okay. Yeah. That's not how this works guys. That's it. Whether you're talking about hardcore drug addicts in, in the, in the world that you've lived in and you're working in, or whether we're talking about the average person on the street and we want them, we would, we would like, we would like them to think more our way, we have to have a connection. We have to understand their motivations, the why, what is it that's motivating their value set and how they engage. And more and even more important. And you, have this, to val- you have to validate their points. You bingo. Really you bingo. And, their points. and here's the thing, part of validating their point. Now, this might not be in your world. Maybe it is. But no, part of that is, is I, I, it, that's the empathy part. You have to, I totally understand why you would feel that way. But more importantly with, with a non-hunter is part, well, maybe not more importantly. One of the ways that a connection is made, especially with a non-hunting person is if they bring up a point that makes sense, yeah, it's true. Right. You better acknowledge it. Sure. Yeah. And you better be willing to yeah. move with them. All the actual real true shit that they say, they're not going to hear anything else you have to say. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because you're, yeah. you're, you're not listening right. and you're, you're not, listening. not right. you're not, this is not a communication. You're, right. you're just trying to lecture me or, or bull, you know, bully me or what it, it, it's going to yeah. fail. Yeah. Every opportunity to make a connection with that person has been severed. Uh, well, that's why that dude, that's why I want to talk to you. I mean, we didn't even get, I wanted to talk about some of your hunting and stuff too, because dude, I'm, I'm jealous. So I, so everybody that's listening, I did, I grew up in upstate New York up in the Finger Lakes region of New York. And I never got over into your neck of the woods over on the Atlantic coast over there. Yeah. But you know, I I'm telling we you, great, I, we, got some, we got some great deer out here. It's not easy hunting. It's thick, but it's, it's well, it's, but I, I'm more fascinated when you're like, Oh yeah, let's, we're just going to go tuna fishing. Like, well, hold on a minute. Who just, who just goes fishing for tuna or yeah. like I said, bluefish, or, you know, you're talking about going up and down that your, your, is it your uncle or who, who has the oysters? Yeah, my, my uncle. Yeah. Yeah. It just has the oyster farm. I'm like, God, you know, I'm not an oyster fan, but man, you, you set, you throw down a 50 pound sack of clams in front of me. There you go. You better get your own because I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to whittle through that sucker steamed clams and butter. Oh, oh, yeah. oh <laughs> my gosh. But so real quick, and I know I've, I've had you on here over two hours. So, Real quick, just a curiosity. Sure. Number one, what got you fired up about Wanda Elkhart? How, how did you become, was it just, I, the, I mean, just the fascination I mean, of it? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up, uh, I started hunting when I was 13 years old. I, I think I was 14 or 15 when I killed my first whitetail. Um, I started on like a recurve bear fiberglass bow that my dad gave me. I think my first compound was a PSE Firefox. I had like metal cables, yeah. finger tab, one, you know, yeah. three, three pin sight, finger tab. 
tw you know, 2316 aluminum arrows and a yeah, mine was the PSC <laughs> USA spirit baby with a, with a 2319s. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, me and like four, four of my friends just, you know, we just got really heavily into archery and that that's pretty much all we did. Um, you know, and then just watching hunting films and primos and elk hunting and hearing elk scream, it was always a dream of mine. And then, you know, I had this kind of really horrific, uh, first half quarter of my, my life, half of my life. And, um, and then when I got sober, I met, um, a buddy of mine uh, who lives at the base of Boulder Mountain out in Utah, um, Ray Barlow, amazing guy. And, you know, just grew up in the Elkwoods, you know what I mean? Just played at 11,000 feet, you know, grew up at 7,000 feet and played at 11,000 feet his whole life. And um, he was like, he's like, you should come out, man. You should come out. I'm like, what do you mean come out? And he's like, it's public ground, dude. Get a spike and a cow tag and we'll go chase some elk. And uh, so I, you know, I always want to bring my dad. So I brought my dad out, did that for uh, six years. You know, we, we got a few elk. It was great. But, you know, my dream was always to shoot a branch antler bull. Um, so went out last year, didn't have any success. And we're going this year. I think we're going to be in Colorado this year. So I'm, I'm excited to just to get in close. You know, I've called in probably 20 bulls to, you know, 20 yards, <laughs> but uh, it just doesn't do any good when they don't have a harem when you're in a spike in, in yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. All I've right. had, I, I've called them in close, but um, you know, and I subscribed to your, uh, you know, the elk module, uh, yeah. which was super helpful, just brilliant information, really. You know, I mean, I grew up duck calling and all that stuff, turkey yeah. calling. So it wasn't a huge stretch to get on an open read or, or, or diaphragm call. Um, you know, well, here's I'll, a, here's a, my here's, wife nuts, but here, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> here's the, here's the thing that struck me after we got done, uh, with our, with our meeting, uh, the uh, last week. So we were talking about, you were talking about legitimately going fishing for tuna. Yeah. Now, are you going, you're going on a boat, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Now bluefish. Yeah. You can do that from the shore, right? Oh yeah. Okay. So here's yeah. the question. Now, I understand. Uh, no. See the problem. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, now, I have. I have never. I have never gone fishing for bluefish. Okay. But I've seen straight bass. Nothing. Correct. No. No. no okay. Now, and and again, I grew up fishing. I, literally, I where I grew up. So if you're not anybody who's not familiar with the Finger Lakes region of New York, I mean, it's all these long, skinny glacier lakes with all these streams. And yep. so I lived, a, it was literally a five minute walk to a trout stream. So yep. literally I was that geek in high school where I, I didn't have many, I had friends, but I didn't have, I wasn't going out and doing things with friends. I had yeah. friends in school and, and my family was heavily involved with church. And, and, dude, and I'd get home. I'd grab my fly rod. The, uh, done. done. That's yeah. it. Literally every waking moment that I was not either working or in school, I was on the stream fly fishing or tying flies. Okay. Yep. That's all I did. So it started out cold water and then I love bass. And so I would fly fish for bass and fly fish yep. for pike and fly fish for it always just fly fish, fly fish, fly fish for whatever I could fish all the while growing up there, watching and, and reading article at the, at the time it was, oh, you're either reading a magazine yeah, yeah. or in fisherman, you're watching the in fisherman TV. Yeah, yeah. And I'm watching these guys going over there, just hit, just big stripers. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like, that looks freaking awesome. Yeah. It's fine. Hey, yeah. What is it? Because if anybody that doesn't know, I mean, 
we're talking large fish mm -hmm. that attack your lure or bait or whatever with viciousness. Yeah, and they are massive fighters. A bluefish will bite your finger off, dude. I mean, they got razor sharp teeth. You and you, and you can't whip a bluefish. And they will actually have a ball, a frenzy, like to where oh, it's yeah. not like, oh, I'm 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 out there fishing all day and oh, I got one. It's no, like, they're, they're, oh, they're like they're top water feeders. Yeah. So well, again, stripers would rather be down the bottom, but they will feed on top as well. But my point is, is people get, and this is the thing that I just it struck me that I thought was funny because okay, the beaches. Mm -hmm. It's you can walk. I'm not going to say it's public land, but, yeah, well, but some of it is. But you can walk the beaches, is right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's, it depends on where you're at. So some parts of the coastline on the east coast, all the seashore is public land. You can, as long as you're going after a migratory fish, you can walk across private land to get to it. Um, same thing with when you're duck hunting, like you can, if you're going after a migratory bird, you can walk across private land to get to the game reserve where you can then duck hunt or whatever it is. Um, but there's, I mean, there's ample places to go fishing. There's, there's no shortage of spots. So what is it? And, and maybe it's just a lack of exposure, yeah. but one thing that I think is interesting is there is, and I'm not saying that Western, you know, Eastern hunters are better, you know, are, are more passionate than Western hunters. And I know fishing is different from hunting, but yeah, not so. It not not no, so much. Not really. So why do we see? And this is just a curious. I don't have an answer. I'm just curious. You see a lot of people from back east mm -hmm. with a, a wildly diverse background in hunting. You've whitetail hunted. You've turkey hunted. You've waterfowl hunted. You've gone clamming. You've you've been up and down the sea. Okay, you've got such a diverse background in hunting and fishing, and yeah. yet. And then you want to go west and experience west. It's the mountains. Why don't we see yeah. western the west want to go wanting east. to go? There, I mean, maybe it's just a lack of exposure. But if you look at, at a ball of bluefish or stripers on a bite, I mean, oh, it's just fin. like a bugling frenzy. Uh, oh, 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 a bluefin. You see the 250-pound tuna coming out of the water, and it's six feet long. Yeah, and it's whales and birds and the bluefin are coming out of the water. You I mean, don't see it'll blow your mind. It just yeah. doesn't seem like there's that the the, the reciprocal. You know, the people yeah. from the east want to go experience western. No, there's also a really interesting to that point. Eastern hunters are really lazy. Like they don't want to walk more than a half a mile to the tree stand. That's like, what they, they got. That's not, what they, they got the bad not. boy buggy for. Yeah, right. They are not, they are just not, they don't want to put in the effort. So if back East, if you want to put in a little bit more effort, you can be really successful and you can get into really good deer. Out West, sometimes you got to walk five miles just to get to the spot. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and so, like so okay. So, back. Like, so, so it, if, in, in that case, then with, with that drive that you have out West for Western hunters, yeah. how do we not see a reciprocal that we're like, I'm freaking going to go, I'm going to fly into Boston uh, or I mean, wherever. Some, some people do. Some people do. I, I, I think, I think it has to do with the, the kind of the culture, small town, you know, most Western people in the Western States, they come from a small town. They grew up in this kind of very sheltered environment. You know, they've, you know, I mean, how many people from the West have been in Manhattan? Yeah, right. no, fair point. How many people have been in Times Square, right? They just hell. I grew up in New York State, and I haven't. I haven't even been there. Yeah, <laughs> so. right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, my dad's the same way. My dad's never been to New York State, but he's been out west. 
He's yeah. never been. He's never been to New York City, but he's been out west. Yeah, he's driven around the city and seen it from the GW Bridge, right? Dude, but, I've, I've got so I've got a buddy. I've got a buddy that lives in Vermont. I've got family in Virginia. I, I've no, I got a buddy and I got a sister in Vermont. I've got family in Virginia. It's like, man, I lived there my entire. I lived in upstate New York my entire life. Yeah. No, no, not my entire life. My entire childhood, and then I graduated college. Or graduated high school, went to went off to college, came back for a little bit, and back and forth. You know, there's some great just, uh, just deer in New York, though. The deer and deer hunting guys. What was his name? The guy he just died a few years ago. James, yeah. Not James. Uh, no, um, oh, well, you got. Uh, yeah, uh, I forget his name. The the blonde headed dude. Dude, I'm I'm I yes I I'm blanking. We got his magazine. I got his magazine for twenty years, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magazine where they had the rut report and all that. I forget it. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Same. I'll think of it when we're done. He's an amazing guy, man. His television show is awesome. I just I just look at what you get to experience over there. You know, just just us talking about elk hunting and and watching you get so excited about it and just digging into it and just geeking out on some of the stuff. I love it, man. Something about it's you know again, I'm very extreme kind of individual. I love being just something about being in the mountains and just being you know 20 miles from from anywhere uh, with everything on my back. I just I just love and, it. And I, there's got, and I, and I guess part of that is also the novelty of it. Cause I, I look at you, you know, when you were talking, I'm looking, I'm looking in your direction going, Oh, that'd be freaking awesome. You know, just go out there, just fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much fun. Or on the vineyard. It's like some of the best uh, blue fishing in the world is on Martha's vineyard. I mean, it's amazing. How so far offshore that, are you? <clears throat> so, I mean, you can see the land. So yeah, it's right so, there. so so on Martha's Vineyard, there's a, the south side and the east side of the island. There's two currents. One comes this way, and one comes that way, and they collide, and it creates this. It's called a wasty rip. So this huge rip, where it's just like this big wave that goes all the way out, and it's just, I mean, shoulder to shoulder, fishermen on both sides, all the way down the rip. It's it's really intense. So there's the Martha's Vineyard um, striped bass derby every year since the 40s or something and from the if you fish from the land and you get the biggest whatever in the category um you go into the hat and if you go from a boat from the biggest all the different species you also go into the hat and then from the shore hat they pull out one ticket and you win a boat like a like a nice boat and really you come out of the boat hat you win a truck <laughs> so dude cool. it sounds like so much fun and man. it's like it's like 10 or two weeks long it's like 10 days to two weeks long it's like really fun but like the same six people win all island boys it's crazy <laughs> yeah they've got it dialed in they, they it's dialed the same in, thing yeah. you, you go you go hunt utah the guys that are professional guides and outfitters in utah on some of these premium they're going to be the ones it's like the moss yeah. packs and everybody else they're going to be killing the 400 inch bulls every year they don't yeah, they've got it from, dialed yeah, in Yeah, they're from bicknell and tory and they yeah. know where, they but know where. at the same token a guy like me i'm like i still want to go play you know i, I, like, I, oh, right, yeah. I want to get in there and play yeah awesome man well i this i've kept you way longer than i i, I figured it was going to go for a while but i've kept you for a while so i, oh, I good, I'll, man. No, i appreciate you having me on dude i really do dude i, I appreciate the perspective because it's you're yeah. in a literally you're in a completely different world than maybe a lot of other people are but yeah. yet there's a lot of commonality there and i think hey the first half of this discussion i think touches on a lot of people whether they want to admit it or not sure. i think a lot of people are i hope i hope people find value in that 
And then yeah, this, this and, and listen, if, anyone, if anyone ever reaches out to you because of the podcast and they have a question and they want to speak with me, feel free to pass my information along. Well, no, what I was going to say is I, I want you to, if, if you're, if you want to yeah, yeah, give, give people, how can people least reach out to you? Obviously you're across the country, but at yeah, least you yeah. can, if, if someone says, man, I, I think I could use some help. Yeah. Where do, where do they go and, and point them in the right yeah. direction? I mean, I have an Instagram. It's, you know, Josh underscore Benton um, underscore. So you can, you can either find me that way, or if you want to put, um, you know, any contact information in the show notes, whatever you okay. want. All right. Um, so Josh underscore Benton underscore. Yeah. Okay. All right. What is your, what's the name of your practice well, or not practice, but what, what, what's the name of your company, your, your program? It's uh, Benton behavioral health consulting. Okay. And awesome. You can, man. you can Google that and it'll come right up. Awesome. Well, I, I will, uh, because I think it, it's valuable, but, and especially the second half, what we're talking about is I real this, I, I'm going to start hammering it because yeah. we, we have to learn to communicate whether yeah. we're talking, whether we're talking about in your world where we're le- legitimately, you're dealing with lo- someone's life or death sure. or whether we're talking about the life and death of a way of life and a value set. Yeah, yeah, the future the only, the only way we're going to be able to, to navigate those waters, no pun intended, it, 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 is communicating. It's got to trickle down, Chris. It's got to start at the top and it's got to trickle down. So the, you know, the, the main advocacy groups on our side need to stop playing nice in the sandbox with the main ag- advocacy groups on the other side. And we, they have to find common ground. We have to come together. We need a, you know, some sort of town hall or where we can come together and have a meeting and try to find, you know, some way to, to connect with them. They and and, be- and here's the, and they're okay. I, I, I appreciate that comment. And even if, and I know the answer to this, let's just say there's no way those big, the big HSUS PETAs and everything, they're not going to do that. Okay. So fine. It's fine. But that doesn't mean the 80% of the population of the people that are, that are, that are uh, not, you know, radicals, if you will. Yeah. That's, that is the population. That's where we can build that. Yeah. That's where we can build that relationship. Yeah. We need to open create an open channel of communication with the general public or in some way um, that helps to show both sides, you know, like there needs to be a way in which we can communicate without demonizing the other side that we can really, yeah, I mean, listen, I think the people at the top need to also, you know, if, if you're analyzing someone who's has a different point than you do and they're coming at you, you can't, just keep doing the same thing over and over and again, expecting a different result. Yeah, correct. Like that's just, that's the definition of insanity, right? So we, we've got to pivot. Yeah, it's get smarter. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, we've got we, we to be smarter. Yeah. Cool, man. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, I appreciate brother. it. And uh, we will talk soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. All right, brother. All right, talk right. to you later. Bye.